Alright everybody, welcome back to We Want More, the Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality Analysis Podcast with me, your host, Steven Zuber, and with me as always, my co-host, Brian Deacon. Hi everybody. Hello. Hi Brian. Today we are talking about <laughs> chapters 41 through 43. Why don't we start with 41 because it makes the most sense. My one sentence summary for this one is Harry goes full chaos against the Dramoni's Sungon Argument, <laughs> oh, <it's a> <laughs> which is the... The horrible mashup name of uh, the Draco's um, Dragon Army and Hermione's Sunshine Regiment. So. Yes, this one felt very um, Tom Cruise Mission Impossible. Oh, it was awesome. Especially yeah, they, with like so the we, winter scaling the wall opening. Yeah, which it, we should it gives explain. You, like, this cold open on the chapter because you don't really know what the hell's going on. And it's like a Draco POV. And I think it And actually, I should have, I didn't pull that quote, but I remember actually was reading something. Let's see if I can pull it on the fly. The uh, the very opening um, quote, which I've now lost. Come back. Um, it was actually like pretty good, like dramatical uh, writing. How does it go? The biting January wind howled around the vast blank stone walls that demarcated the material bounds of the castle Hogwarts, whispering and whistling in odd pitches as it blew past closed windows and stone turrets. The most recent snow had mostly blown away, but occasional patches of melted and refrozen ice still stuck to the stone face and blazed reflected sunlight. From a distance, it must have looked like Hogwarts was blinking hundreds of eyes. A sudden gust made Draco flinch and try impossibly to press his body even closer to the stone, which felt like ice and smelled like ice. That was a good line, too. Um, yeah, it was cool. Yeah, so it's, it, it's, it starts out sounding very like a, like a spy movie, like the action sequence. I saw him like dressed in black with like harnesses and stuff on him. Yeah, I like that, too. And I liked you pulled out all the sentences that I liked about that beginning, too. I... From a distance, it must have looked like Hogwarts was blinking hundreds of eyes. That's why I'm not a writer. I couldn't think of a line like that. <laughs> yeah, that was a good line. And like, all I could think of is like literally just this horrible creature with a hundred blinking eyes. But it it paints a good imagery. It's great, and I I could totally imagine. Yeah, it felt like almost doing. like a like a Star Wars vibe to it, like like dark and yeah, blinking yeah. lights and dark and cold. I like how it it doesn't have uh, like any explanation of what's going on. You know, it's only like four yeah. paragraphs, and it does the earlier break to set it up, but. It says that there's a young or the, the young girl beside him says in a conversational voice, you know, Mr. Malfoy, if a seer had told me that someday I'd be hanging on the side of a castle by my fingertips, trying not to look down or think about how loud mom would yell if she saw me, I wouldn't have any idea of how it happened, except except that it'd be Harry Potter's fault. I was saying that's, it, and that was intentional. See, I didn't at first think I so that's why I thought it was like Parvati Patil or something in the beginning, because it's just it, she's just the young girl, but that's Hermione out there. Yeah, and then when you read that in Hermione's voice, it makes perfect sense too. So, um, oh yeah, the audiobook—that'd like, be a giveaway. You'd have the same. Yeah, the audiobook's a giveaway. Um, there's no way to hide it there. But I just like to just the you know how how loud my mom would yell if she saw me, and it's uh, yeah. Anyway, so we, the contracted mum words to mummed. I'll I'll let you drive. Screen. So let me drive. Uh, yeah, and this is actually, uh, he does a good job with this. This is another one of those where the, it, like, it feels like an, like, edited camera work on a TV show. Like the way, like, we, we started with this, like, cold open on a wall, literally cold. And, uh, <laughs> and then it, like, and then cuts to earlier. It's like there's almost, like, there's a fade to black in between. But they were good for, like, the pacing and stuff. 
But uh, so anyway, so the background for this was um, that we're still in like we're in the like army battles, uh, the the battle magic um, wars. And so this is like the aftermath of uh, Draco and Hermione have dueled up against um, against Harry because he's because he wouldn't like take an oath to have no traitors. Um, and so, and there's again, it like feels like very montage kind of descriptions, like things are cut together of like certain battles this way and, and describing like how Harry like uses like sort of muggle inspired booby traps. Um, they, uh, like, and, and so it's like told from Draco's point of view that, uh, that, that he's learned to like use ball bearing. He transfigures random stuff into ball bearings in the hallways to, uh, to trip the other people, but his his army has practiced like levitating across them, so that's like something they've gotten like good at. Um, and which then like lets us know that like so these last battles apparently have been happening like actually in the hallways. Um, and then there was a good line here from Draco. He says, "And that just wasn't fair when you were fighting a boy raised by scientists who knew about things like ball bearings and skateboards and bungee cords." I like, yeah. and that was a good image of like you know skateboard like sliding down a stone hallway in Hogwarts. I like that, that a lot one. too. I it's it's really funny thinking about because um, yeah, there, it says that the combined forces of Draco and Hermione's army had a ridiculously hard time taking down Harry's, despite yeah. it being two versus one, and because he had dumped out his bag of tricks. And it made me think that I guess this was 1991, so Home Alone hadn't come out yet. I don't think. So fortunately for Hermione and Draco, because they might be able to survive a lot of the shit that uh, Kevin put the the burglars through in Home Alone, <laughs> but I could just imagine him like you know transfiguring fishing fishing wire like on the stairs or you know <laughs> swinging swinging ropes full of like uh, bludgers at people or yeah. something like there, there's there's because they're more resistant to physical damage he could fuck them up and uh, I think he doesn't do anything too brutal to him but that would be one creative use of muggle stuff just to like you know he even mentioned uh the like bucket of water on top of a door to fred and george or something at some point and they had oh, that. He? like well he did that when he was talking oh, about really? like how to think of a good prank mm, and they oh, yeah, hadn't yeah. heard of that one so i mean he, he could just do that with i don't know whatever some it could be ice water it could be you know something slippery or gooey or something i don't know but just you know nickelodeon I, I, slime once you have, once you have, pre- exactly. <laughs> once, once you have, uh, um, I'm sure there's some magical equivalent to, equivalent of like containment foam that like expands and traps people. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of like, once you have some few minutes of prep time, just all the crazy shit you could do. So especially, oh, I don't know if he's allowed to bring stuff in, like if you could whip stuff out of his pouch. But yeah, if you can transfigure. It I think it was battle, said. Yeah, I think they sense. were. Yeah, the, the, that's what he said. They were. They were allowed to transfigure things, but they couldn't like bring stuff. So that's like how the ball bearings and little things that I don't know what he would have transfigured into ball bearings, but I suppose anything, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I like anyway, this. Yeah. I like how this one like transitioned to. Then it was like it. Oh, that it also opened it to kind of like in the middle of the scene uh, where it's just there like having this, again, this like Quentin Tarantino standoff with like one guy's got his prismatic shield up and the other people are just sort of like waiting for it to like, you know, fall down so that they can like shoot each other. And that's when Harry pulls his his weird stunt, which is again like done as a, a like a, a reveal that we're not entirely sure what the hell he's talking about. Because um, so as they're sitting there like, and I think it's, it's like one of Harry's like, soldiers that's holding up the shield in front of all of them or something 
But they're yeah, like depending. so it's just Harry and his last soldier. <clears throat> yeah, and they're like, wait, they're about to, you know, they're just waiting for the shield to drop, and it, it all looks like super in- inevitable. But Draco notices that like Harry's got has had his hands behind his back the whole time, um, yeah. and uh, and Draco's like, you know, for most other people, you would think it, it was a bluff, but probably not with Harry. Um, yeah, I then, like that too. Yeah, and then Harry like pulls his hands <clears throat> out from behind his back, and it describes like. He's wearing these gloves with strange, like what is like gray or something like something strange about the fingertips and buckles on, holding it like tightly to his to his wrists. And we don't know what the hell they're talking about. But Hermione's like, oh, my God, Harry, you did what? Like, so Hermione can tell what it is. And like Draco's like Draco doesn't even care. He just shoots him anyway, even though he doesn't doesn't know what the hell's going on. And then I think so there's like a slight delay before like we understand. And I think it's like another kind of flashback that. Um, that Hermione and Harry had been practicing with Transfiguration again about how to, what do they call like gecko gloves or something? Gecko sete or something? Is that, is that a real thing? Apparently that sounds like it's a real I, thing. Well, I know that geckos have that stuff on their yeah. feet that lets them climb around. I imagine that if you had a larger proportion of it, I don't know if they make gloves like this. Yeah. I, I, I'm pretty sure if we the had terminology stuff that used like, like, like Spider-Man. Thing. Yeah, like gecko gloves was not a term that was invented for this. It was sounding no, to me like, it, like that term is a thing. Yeah, I know I'm that there sure is a special kind of substance or something, texture or whatever it is on, on gecko yeah. feet that lets them climb at all angles. But I think if we've been able to make it, attach it to gloves, I'd have heard about that by now. Because if someone had told me at some point that, yes, that's you can true. be Spider-Man whenever you want, I, I'm sure I would have heard about it. No, that's one of the like secret knowledge that's not safe enough to let the public know about. That's a good point. Yeah, Jedi Council has to approve. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, just trolling, trolling's gonna troll. Um, so then, and then he does like another, this whole thing has felt very like action movie. So he's like, ha ha, I've got my magical gecko gloves. And then he like leaps out the window. Yeah. Follow um, if you dare. If you dare. Um, oh yeah. But after like they described that like Harry and Hermione, it's like, as they were playing around with it and figuring out like how to transfigure it, um, that they had just been like goofing around and like climbing around on the, on the walls and stuff with their gecko gloves. Um, which sounds like it would be pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, I like this because it's from Draco's point of view. So he's just like, this is coming from General Granger. And she says, I wonder why Harry is doing this. She said in a reflective tone as she's like, you know, (laughs) sticking and plopping to the wall. I'll have to ask him that after I kill him. And then in Draco's head, it was amazing how much the two of them were turning out to have in common. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And so then it's like turns into like even more of a superhero movie. They're like running around on the on the rooftops of of Hogwarts chasing each other. And I guess, and so I guess like Harry got like a, like a good lead on them when it's kind of far away and they're trying to like shoot him with their lasers. I mean, their wands and, uh, but he's too far away. They can't get a <laughs> shot. And then so like they're running across an icy roof and Hermione slips. And then they describe it like, yeah, I think you pull it like Draco reflexively grabs Hermione's arm. Um, and then it's sort of like described as like, you know, it's Draco's not actually this nice. He just kind of did it without thinking. Um, and so, but then he finds himself like whole, like Hermione is then like um, dangling off the edge of the roof. And there's like a weird, like they all know they've, they've taken their like floaty to the ground potion. Um, so nobody's going to get hurt. And there's kind of a weird, like they're all, you know, I think at least to me, it felt like a little overly worried about falling. Cause like, shouldn't they know that they're going to be fine? But so, yeah. yeah, so Draco's doing the like, and she's doing, you know, the, the holding on and, you know, by one arm, like a Mission Impossible again. And 
Um, but then they know that, like, okay, I, I guess because, like, Harry saw it or something, like, that it was going to happen. Um, so now Hermione knows that Harry's going to come back, and she's like, you know, Harry's going to come here to try to help me, but he's going to shoot us both first. Um, so you got to let me go so that you can take him out, uh, which is, like, all very, like, like very Slytherin of uh, Hermione to have, like, figured it all out. Like, that's totally a thing that makes sense. And I think a lot of this, like, so this is this weird moment for Draco where he's, like, being cornered into being a good person and doesn't want to. Um, but he's like, oh, shit, I'm going to, like, like, even the logical thing to do right now is to be a good person. God damn it. Um, or no, I guess it wasn't the logical thing. So, but yeah, Hermione's trying to talk him into doing the logical thing, which is, to, like, to let her die. Um, for and, the greater good. Yeah, for the greater, for the greater good. Um, I, the way I put it in the notes is that uh, Draco reflectively grabs Hermione's arm, who Black Widow argues him into letting her go so he, so he can oh, take down right. the enemy. Yes. <laughs> and the Avengers just... Stole that from HPMOR. Yeah, obviously, no one's ever had a like a high stakes holding on sort of thing before. Um, <laughs> Never let yeah, go. I like that because, like you'd said, it's it. I think the chapter is called Frontal Override because his like that's his hind called that. Yeah, yeah, there his hind go. brain is like, oh my god, she's gonna fall and die. And it's like, well, wait a minute, she's just some filthy mudblood. What shit do I give? Plus, she'll be fine. Mm-hmm. But like, in his, and I think I get the impression that this goes on for like three full, you know, three seconds. It's not mm-hmm. like a de- yeah. long deliberation. But she has to say basically that no, no, let me go because he'll run over and stop us. And um, then there's that that funny line where it's. Uh, Oh, be rational. The voice yeah, of Draco's so. head sounded an awful lot like Harry Potter teaching lessons. <laughs> Are you going to let your brain run your life? <laughs> and then it like cuts again, right? Like we don't get to see it actually happen. Right. Think, we don't yeah. know how it turns out until yeah. uh, after this, after the, in the aftermath one. Yeah, and then it's, and then it's girls in, uh, in the Slytherin dungeon gossiping about what happened. It's sort of like they're like trying to do the like dreamy Draco thing. Like, oh, and then Draco did this. You pulled some quotes about it, didn't you? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, and so they're like making, uh, they're sort of like making up a a more uh, impressive version of the story. Um, but they're like, well, why didn't Draco? Why didn't Draco want to drop her? Um, and then who? So it's like Parvati. It's like Pansy and Parvati, and then I think some other names that I don't recognize that I'm sure were real actually in the book. But um, I think it's, who is it? It's Pan- or no, it's Parvati, I think says. Besides, you can't just go dropping girls. A boy who drop a girl like that, he'd drop anyone. He'd drop you, Pansy. What do you mean, drop me, Pansy said. Daphne couldn't resist anymore. You know, Daphne said darkly, you're eating breakfast one day at our table, and the next thing you know, Malfoy lets go of you, and you're falling off the top of Hogwarts. That's what. <laughs> yeah, so this is a good line. Yeah, said Charlotte, he's a witch dropper. <laughs> You know why Atlanta yes. spells so Tracy? Because someone like Malfoy dropped, dropped it. it. That's, That's why. <laughs> I could. I didn't really care, but I could. I, I couldn't tell. Like, is this? Are these girls intentionally sounding silly, or is this just girls sounding silly? Uh, I've got to think way, it's intentional. Works, yeah. Like they're 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 messing with each other. Yeah. Well, especially. <laughs> In fact, what if Malfoy's the one who made Hermione, I mean General Granger, slip in the first place? What if, oh, she, yes. what if he's out to make all the Muggleborns trip and fall? <gasps> you mean, that's right. What if Malfoy is the heir of Slipperin? Slipperin, the next drop lord. Which was far too good a line for anyone to keep it to themselves. So by nightfall, it was all over Hogwarts. And then, and it was the next morning, it was the Quibbler's headline. <laughs> <laughs> next try. That would be a good... Uh... National Enquirer headline. 
the next drop right. lord. Yes. It stuck out again that that other line, they're like, oh, you know why Atlantis fell? Because Atlantis like totally not in the original books. Every time we bring up Atlantis, I'm like, huh? So I'm just another one like, oh, we brought up Atlantis again. I have no idea what it means, but we did it again. What I wish this had done and, you know, maybe there's, I'm sure there was intentional intentionality behind it. But it would have been nice if, like, because Harry is, like, the, our first exposure to Atlantis is him just, like, thinking about it after yeah. he thinks thinks about the uh, um, the gene, the whatever, the, yeah. the, the magical allele. Mm-hmm. And, like, we don't get where he learned about it. I guess maybe he went to go look it up at some point because, like, intuition told him, like, once he heard that Merlin was real, yeah. he's like, oh, I wonder if like, the other shit that has percolated to Muggle World is real, too. Yeah, that came but, up with the interdict of Merlin. But, yeah, I can't remember now, like... I think it was just sort of like, oh, and then I read a thing somewhere. So I think yeah. it's like, like maybe like he'd been in the library or something like that. But I think like libraries, are, I guess because this is supposed to be said in like the early 90s, but like libraries, not like a kid now would be like library who? Like they'd be like super good at, you know, Google research stuff. But like library as a skill is kind of not a valuable skill anymore. Yeah, unless you're doing like primary research and they've got journals there that you otherwise yeah. have to pay for. Uh, I like the I like the services that, that libraries pr- provide. I uh, it is sort of unfortunate that they're kind of obsolete for yeah. the original purpose. Uh, well, yeah, unless like, you actually but want to just borrow like, a Oh, I book. need to find stuff, and how do I find the book? Like the book on a shelf somewhere, and know which book I need to be looking at. Like like the whole that whole skill has shifted. Yeah, and then like, read that entire book yeah, to find out what find year out like Abraham the, yeah, Lincoln was exactly. born. Like, forget that. Exactly. You can just Google that shit. <laughs> George Washington Carver, the peanut guy. Yes, exactly, yeah, that guy. <laughs> um, all right, so then we jump to Aftermath 2, which is Hermione reading in another one of the mysteriously unused classrooms. It's not a thing that there's a lot of unused classrooms. That was a big thing in canon, too. I just, I still find it interesting that there tends to be just a ton of unused classrooms. They're just like not, not currently unoccupied, just like ones that they don't use. But Hogwarts is huge, I think bigger than it has any need to be, but that's just... Something I think, I there, I think there actually really is some points where it's like where it is like this is it's Hogwarts as TARDIS, like they acknowledge that there's some like rooms that aren't there later. Oh, totally. Besides, yeah, besides, I mean, there's specifically the room of requirement, but I think there's other times where it's just sort of like, yeah, and here's this room that wasn't there before. Yeah, and there was that thing when on Harry's like first day or first week where he realized that like Hogwarts had like directions to places but not like geometry. Mm-hmm. So it's like, all right, if I want to go, you know, to the transfiguration classroom from the headmistress's office, it's that way. But that's only because it's an odd numbered year in a May or something, right? So, <laughs> God, that'd be, uh, I, w- I guess now it makes sense why the Marauders map, like just in the, um, uh, like, remember like in the movies where it just like shows the pages, yeah. or, like shows the rooms like being drawn or whatever you want to look at. Um, yeah, having a map of this place would be impossible. Anyway. It's a life map. Aftermath 2, Hermione's in the Unruh's classroom, and we both pulled out this quote that mm-hmm. I just love. If there is uh, any way for a door to creak open apologetically, that was how the door was creaking open. <laughs> <laughs> Which, and this, I think this was the first, so like the, the, the action-packed previous chapter I really liked, um, just because it was like, fun and, and fast paced but I th- and then this one was the it, it was this point where Harry comes in to apologize for that the, I really like these these three chapters um, this week um, and this was kind of the first one well so I'll read the, the quote I pulled for you so after, after making the door creak apologetically 
he comes in and he says, I, uh, I don't have much experience apologizing. I'll fall to my knees if you want or buy you something expensive. Hermione, I don't know how to apologize to you for this. What can I do? Just tell me. Um, and this like totally stuck, like, at least to me, this like very welcome <laughs> in a very welcome way has been very different than, than Harry so far, or at least like this is, was a sudden jump in the direction Harry's been going. Um, and that's been kind of like at least the theme, the theme for me this week is, oh, wow, I wish we'd seen this kid sooner. Um, like he's this very like likable, um, much more kind of just like, like one, one of the things I said, like less in his head um, and just sort of like more kind of emotionally authentic with people. Um, so he comes in here and especially what I liked about this too is he's just kind of saying like, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm not good at this. Tell me what, I, tell me what to do because I don't like that I hurt your feelings, but I don't know how to make this better. Um, so he's just kind of like blabbing out everything that's going on in a really sort of like transparent way. <clears throat> so I really like that. And this was just like one of the, this is one of the first ones in, um, in these couple chapters where Harry's been kind of a lot more less trying to be, you know, the boy who lived and just kind of being this kid. Yeah. I really like that too. And I, I'm glad you pulled that out because it, you know, in my umpteenth read through or whatever, it, it didn't jump out at me, but you're right. Like if I had asked you to predict in advance, like, Hey, when Hermione's pissed at Harry after this, how do you think Harry's going to act? Yeah. I think it would have been a, an equally good guess to say, you know, he comes in and be like, Hermione, you were never in any danger. You would have been fine. Why are you even mad? Uh, or he, he could have like come in and like, ha, schooled you. Like, yeah. Right. Yeah. Instead he goes it, in a completely just like you said, emotionally genuine way. Like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. That was probably way scarier than I meant for it to be. Uh, can I please make this up to you? And yeah. it was great. I like it. Yeah, I really, and because there's something like, because what he's, what, what he's saying to her is like, I don't know. He's like handing her some power with that. He's saying like, I don't know what to do here. I'm not good at this and I want to make this right by you, but I don't know how to tell me what to do. Um, so there's something like very sort of like humble about that, um, which is something that Harry could use a little of. Um, so yeah, yeah totally. I like that a lot. I like that. Yeah, and what he does later to Ethan, the sort of like building on this uh, in the next chapter is his interactions with Lupin. Spoiler, um, but uh, yeah, I like it a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, basically, I think this one just wraps up with Hermione not knowing what to do, like yeah. how, like what what to offer him. So she just keeps reading because she's yeah. kind of curious what will happen. Yeah, like yeah, the line was right now. She was just feeling a sort of odd curiosity as to what would happen if she kept reading her book for a while. Um, that was again a good line. Yeah, that's like the last line, the last sentence of the, of the chapter, I think. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And this is a really in. good chat, like just the way this this chapter was kind of like chopped up with, you know, the cutting from different scenes and the way they like moved into each other. Um, and these kind of like implied like fade to blacks between them. Um, it was really well done. Yeah, I liked it, especially since I just rewatched like the second half of season five of Breaking Bad, which has a couple of like flash forward bits. <laughs> and this these kind of mesh into that really well. I was just talking about that last night on the uh, Doof and Chill session that you and I were on. Yes. Um, which, if That's you're a patron, nice. you can find on YouTube and watch. Um, Give me your dollar. <laughs> Give dollar. us your dollar. There's there's like, I don't know, eight or nine people in the network, so... Um, yeah. It's, you know, you're, you're... Yeah, I got to meet those guys online for the first time. Good guys. Yeah, they're all awesome. I'm just glad to be part of the family. She whiz. I wonder if I, uh, I guess it must. Uh, Scott does one with his wife. Um, I, uh, maybe now it's two, or maybe it's, I don't know. They do a couple, uh, at least one podcast. Uh, 
Scott Daly and his wife um, called mm, What You Say, where it's like an episode-by-episode watch-through of, uh, oh, I'm blanking on it, The O.C. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, think I, I think I need to listen to this. I've never seen The O.C., mm-hmm. um, but it sounds like it could be funny, so... I do want to see now. Who is it? This so they're they're starting up the one about um about gunslinger, which I and also bought to start reading. It's been going for a little um, while. Yeah. Um, they're into book okay. two at this point, uh, and that's that's good. Matt and Scott. And in this okay. one, Scott is playing me, and Matt is playing you. So doing a much better job of it. Oh yeah, well they're they're the OGs. So yeah, seriously, yeah. With with uh, Worm, Matt had read it, and Scott hadn't. So with King uh, Gunslinger. Um, or I guess the Dark Tower series. Scott has read it and Matt hasn't, so they're 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 reversing roles, which I really enjoyed the first episode of. Um, I bought and read uh, Gunslinger, um, the first one, yeah. and well, I'm partway through chapter two now. But I'll be honest, their hour and a half or so analysis of the first chapter made me really appreciate it a lot more. Um, oh, see, I got it. Yeah, I got it. Yeah, I got it too. Although it was like the third thing I bought because apparently there's two graphic novels. Ooh. of gunslinger which are neither of them which i intended to buy um so i oh. bought it i'm like wait what that was not what i wanted and i returned that's hilarious. I bought some other one i'm like wait again yeah so <laughs> well finally you know what it. maybe you can send them to scott if he doesn't mm-hmm. already have them and i got a refund oh it was there just you on go. kindle so perfect all right chapter 42 courage and now i totally get why this is called that you know inyash we mm-hmm. let you down i you had thrown out in the like opening to this show that we should talk about the chapter names each chapter, Meh. and I consistently fail to do that. But these both really line up really well. They talk about what courage means towards uh, the end of the chapters. Yeah. So um, I like how this one opens because basically, uh, like, well, what was it? You, you had pointed out that Hermione is kind of weirded out by how sorry Harry was, but it's too awkward for her to, for her to know what to say. Uh, yeah, I thought it was sort of interesting because it was like she wanted to like like at least it sounded like she like she was cool with things like she had forgiven him, but she you know but Harry does not know that yet and he's still like freaking out and and trying to figure out how he, how he can make things okay with her and I don't know that it was like a super big point or anything but just like it kind of stuck out of my head like how like we like you can get these like weird fights with people and just the like people being bad at communicating with each other can like. like either just like cause more misunderstandings or at least just sort of like, like introduce all this friction in people like kind of getting settled just because we're just not good at saying what's going on in our heads. Yeah. yeah. And then there, I, Oh yeah. My one sentence summary for this chapter, romantic justice is served. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so yeah, like there's this fun little line where, uh, like romantic but they're both boys and then daphne says wow you mean muggles really do hate that i thought that was something death eaters made up (laughs) (laughs) and so like some of them i guess assume that uh that homophobia is just like this death eater propaganda um well see now i I, my interpretation of that that it was well i don't know if maybe what you mean by death eater propaganda that i thought what they were saying was like oh my god i heard that muggles burn gay people at the stake and like that they really believe that uh, that Muggle Land was this like horror show uh, for gay people. Not like it's great, but um, like they believe this like totally, you know, frighten the children version of what um, what Muggle World was like. Was that not your read on what they were saying? I think it it was different speakers who said both of those mm-hmm. things. So like one of them was Daphne, and the other one was an older Slytherin girl who Hermione didn't recognize. So. If she had been, you know, in Slytherin longer, taking in all that propaganda, she might have believed it. And, you know, in 
the propaganda's defense, um, since the Wizarding World is like 500 years behind, you know, that was definitely what people were doing 500 years ago. So, uh, yeah. yeah. Then, and if you're, if you're, if you're, uh, a girl who thinks it's romantic, they burn you too. <laughs> that can't be right. There wouldn't be any muggle girls left. And um, so, yeah, basically what they decide to do, well, I guess it actually doesn't lay it out in this section. They do a line break, but um, what they, what they preamble decided to do is Hermione decided that letting the Ravenclaws, uh, Ravenclaw girls vote on how Harry should apologize would be fair. And Harry immediately agrees. But this time she wouldn't fix the outcome like she did, she did with the dates. So now, did you read? Because I'm not going to let us like skip over some you know nod to perversion and not talk about it. No, um, no, that's <laughs> but uh, did you did you? It seemed to me like the way not that the, not that there was anything weird going on between Harry and Draco, but like the way it was written, the way Harry and Draco were talking about the gay subject matter. Uh, that like the, there was some winking from the author about. Um, at, I am just assuming that there is an infinite supply of Harry Draco slash fic. Um, there absolutely is. Remember, there was, we even talked it, about. Did you read like this was a this was an intentional nod to that, wasn't it? You know, it not didn't the whole subject, but the but the way Harry and Draco were talking about it with each other because they were sort of like, "Wow, people think that we're gay. That would be weird if we were the gay with each other." Like, <laughs> um. Because we're yeah, only, I, they say like we're only twelve, isn't it too? Aren't we? Yeah, that's, I think that's what tipped me off because they're like we're only twelve. Aren't they too young for them to be thinking that about us? Which is then like then then they look at the camera, guys. I like that. I'll be honest, that completely escaped my notice. But I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. Um, there definitely is a subgenre of fan fiction. In fact, that was where the first Quibbler headline came from. Um, and like I think he even mentioned that in the author in the notes at the top where it's like. Draco, uh, Harry, Mpreg, Fick is apparently oh, yeah, a yeah. thing. And so, um, yeah, this is definitely sounds like it's pointing up, but like, hey, slash fic between two 11 year old boys is fucking gross. Uh, I, I can totally read that. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I, I like that, that call out. But uh, on, the, on the text, what I think is funny um, is <laughs> oh, it's not in this section yet. There's, there's a handful of like, you know, scene changes in this one. Um, I'll let you keep driving if you want, or I can. Uh, this kind of like runs the other way. Cause at least for me, like we just go from this point, it's kind of a callback to when Harry lost the bet, uh, with Hermione over what was, it? I think it was over like who can re- do the reading faster. Um, so there's kind of callback to like, there was, uh, Hermione let the girls, uh, bet on what the punishment would be. And that, that, that was where like the date came from, I think. Right. That's yeah. when that whole thing happened. So there's like a kind of a callback to that, that, um, and this is like, like what kind of Hermione said, like, okay, we'll be cool if um, that the Ravenclaw girls get to decide how Harry should make make it up uh, to Hermione. And Harry's like, okay, that sounds fair this time. And she says, like, as long as I don't, like, fix it, um, like, it'll be a legit vote. And so the all the girls uh, come up with a, like, they even, like, write a script, we start to figure out later, um, that, although that, it seemed kind of like a weird set up to me but that so the girls decided that draco gets to drop harry the way that draco dropped hermione and that would make it fair which all seemed it kind of kept bringing my head back to like they know they'll be fine it's not to me i think it, it felt like the the closest analog would be like being on a ropes course like you're in a like like uh, uh we have it right next to my house we have a zip line being on a zip line where like you're in a harness you know you're gonna be fine and yeah you're like way high up in the air and it's kind of scary but you basically know that like it's gonna be fine I think I think they also just think it's romantic and adorable, so that's so. that's why they're pushing for it. In like a like a gay boys is is 
erotic kind of way. Like that's that's kind of the again like the weird vibe I got to it. Like it, they were kind of like 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 it was Draco saying, you know, Harry, oh don't let go, Draco. I um, think they're they're basically writing it like a little romance yeah. line, right? Um, I mean, their script turns out to be all of two lines, which I think is funny. Yeah. Uh, they, and Draco's totally not into it. He's like, oh, let go of me. And Draco's like, okay. I think that was in the script. <laughs> oh, I guess at least my read of it was like they had written it to be like, like sort of like reenacting it. But Draco's like, yeah, fuck you. I'll drop you. Sure. Yeah. He's he's the drop lord. The drop um, lord. There was the, the, the line in the previous segment, though, where when they're discussing like, well, okay, um, you're doing this to get back at me for boy who lived gets Draco Malfoy pregnant. But um, why are you doing this? And uh, oh, yeah. so Har- Harry thinks he's like, okay, well, he's made a lightning calculation weighing the factors, whether it was too soon. And he says, honestly, cause I, you know, meant for you guys to climb up there, but not for you guys to actually fall. And I felt bad about it. And I guess I did actually start fe- seeing her as my friendly rival after a while. So this is a real apology, not a plot or anything. <laughs> I'm catching a lot of shit for that. Um, well, so, I mean, so you call this, I don't know if, because this didn't, so there was that where Harry's like, oh, I don't know if I can let on, or that he was worried about revealing too much that he actually really does like Hermione. He's not pretending to like Hermione. He has always liked Hermione. Um, but it sounded like to you, the the way you were been calling this out, that it's, that there's, you saw more significance to that. Because it seemed like, I mean, that's, semi-significant because that's kind of like a almost like a vulnerability in his relationship with Draco that he kind of lets that he would let on that his relationship with Hermione is actually sincere and not just a plot um, but was there more to it was that calculation about worrying about revealing too much have more significance did, did you see more to it than, than just that about worrying about what Draco would think I did and I think it's it's um like heavily weighted on with Draco's reply where he pauses and says, yeah, I understand. Yeah. And then Harry didn't smile. It might've been the most difficult non-smile of his life. Mm. Oh, that he's sort of like using like the relationship with Hermione is, is how he's trying to like corrupt Draco into being a good person. I think that's what he's going, yeah, for. going for. It sounds like, I mean, he like it worked in Draco already. We saw it from his point of view that he he was internally struggling. Like, I can just drop this mud blood. But yeah. It's like, oh man, I'm dropping a human being off the side of the wall. Oh and yeah, he, I didn't really connect that. Yeah, yeah. So he, he's, uh, I think it's it's the, I think Harry is trying to, uh, like corrupt, you know, corrupt yeah. him with the light, uh, with the mm-hmm. light side of the force, and like treating a, a muggle, you know, a filthy scum muggle-born as yeah, a human. As a regular, and, as a worthwhile human being. Yeah, and Draco just says, yeah, I, I understand. Um, I like it. Yeah, is, and, I hadn't, and I hadn't picked up on the significance of the of the not smiling. Like, I kind of got it, but I didn't, like, think about it too hard the, that his trying not to smile was him, like, aha, I have a little victory here. Yeah. I didn't connect so, that. It's I, gotcha. I think it's just, go. to me, it just shows a little bit of redemption for yeah. Draco, because it's hard to remember, like, you know, that just at the beginning of the book, he was joking about raping people and shit, right? Yeah. So um, he's, it, it's, we don't get a lot of, we haven't had a lot of head time with Draco. And so like to see the actual, uh, you know, thoughts on him showing that there's some growth there is nice. So, yeah, I was reading around about, um, like, I'm just going to stay away from the cesspool of Reddit. Um, but, like in talking about this, um, skirting a little too close to some spoilers, but um, managed to evade. Uh, but yeah, I guess that scene uh, where Draco talks about, you know, casually mentions that he might rape Luna Lovegood, 
Uh, I guess for a lot of people, like that's their like, nope, I'm out. Like they pull the ripcord at that point on the book, um, which I can totally understand. But yeah, for me, I I, like for me, it actually worked because it was like because it because of how awful it is, it like totally worked. I'm like, oh my god, that is twisted. Like, and he totally means it in like the casual, cold way he puts it. So yeah, but I could see yeah, that. Yeah, I I totally agree, and I think we we talked about it yeah. in that chapter at length enough. But yeah. I. I, I totally agree. Like it's it's heavy. It's it's shocking, but it's yeah. trying to be. It's yeah, not yeah. nonchalant about it. It's horrifying in Draco's nonchalance, yeah. right? And yeah. it, it's it's definitely intentional. Um, yeah, I mean, it's if uh, if you weren't reading it that way and you just thought like that, that's where this book yeah. was going. Like I guess if you stopped literally at that sentence and didn't read, yeah, I guess I mean, like, I would. Reply th- pro- I mean, it. probably people were more talking about like. Because I don't, I mean, I'm sure there's some, some people think some things for anything, but um, that I think most people probably don't read that as like, oh, like it was being condoned or anything. Like, I think everybody would read it as like, okay, this is meant to be awful. But I would think like probably for a lot of people, they're like, yeah, you know, I don't need to go here. Like, yeah. like even, even if they get that it's not at all supposed to be condoned, you're like, this is just kind of not where I want to be thinking about. Totally. And, that. you know, for the same reason, some totally people enjoy that. like you know, Game of Thrones, because it has horrific yeah. violence like that in it, too. Yeah. So. Actually, I remember, now that, th- uh, thinking back to when we were, the episode when we were talking about it, I remember it, it was ac- actually, it was, because it was so shocking, it was such like a whiplash, you're like, oh, this is not the story we thought we were going to be reading, so I, I thought it actually worked really well. I thought so, too. Yeah. Uh, but I'm not, not disparaging anybody who sees that, and, you know, they're like, oh, yeah. gross, I'm out. Yeah. Um, you know, it. I do feel like it served a really great purpose, and it and it worked just as intended for yeah. people who weren't turned off by it. But you know, if you were, and then there it was. So, um, anyway, so this is the interesting part. Oh yeah, their their whole script. Uh, um, so Harry. Yeah, well, there. I mean, but like getting back to like the, when when Draco is holding her arm and like tra- he's like trying to talk himself into letting her drop, and he keeps like repeating mud blood. Um, to himself like that like reminded me of like it's like almost, he's like wishing he could be that like psychopath so yeah, yeah it reminded me of that no I, I agree and it, you know you sub up my blood for another nasty word that humans use today and it's mm-hmm. like you totally get where he, uh, um, you know he's trying to psych himself yeah. back and like to that psychopath mindset and it's not working so yeah. uh, anyway you ready to to oh uh, yeah to so, so doing more um so yeah, they they uh, Draco drops him and, and Harry's floating to the ground. Or I guess he like there's a little bit where he like gets the well if you he gets basically the bungee jump experience. He like starts falling and it feels all weird in his stomach and then he starts slowing down. But then all of a sudden he starts moving very quickly and he's like what the heck and cut and we don't know what happens. And then next he just wakes up um, and he's being carried by some person we've never seen before. Uh, but we can tell as a high-paid actor, so it's going to be important for the rest of the book. <laughs> um, and so this is how we meet Remus Lupin, which is we, when I read it, I'm like, yay, because I really like the character. Me too. Um, so yeah, I was like, oh, cool. Um, and it was a good way to bring him in, too. Yeah. Um, hey, we need yeah. someone to teach the Patronus charm because there's no way Coral can teach it. Uh, why don't we bring in an extra professor? Oh, you know who's great at this? Uh, Remus Lupin. Great. Yeah. And I like to, it's like, and now we're getting two uh, Defense Against Dark Arts, too. Like, we're getting more than one book at the same time. Um, oh, yeah, good point. Yeah. Because, yeah, they weren't both, they weren't ever in the same, in the story at the same time in the originals. Um, but, yeah, and then we said so we hear, and I think it was Lupin that says it, but uh, I think, because I think we pulled the quote somewhere, but um, uh, 
Lupin says that, oh, Quirrell, oh yeah, Quirrell knocked down 200 students to get whoever was responsible. They're saying so it was like somebody, I think at that point when he says it, we're not quite sure exactly what was going on, but somebody was jinxing Harry and that's why he was falling. And um, and Lupin just sort of like mentions like he's just sort of like surprised slash impressed um, at, you know, how much ass Quirrell was willing to kick in order to like protect Harry, basically. Um, it was a little vague about like what exactly went on, but it would, but we get to see that like Quirrell did some like impressive blow up of power um, to defend Harry, which is just yeah. sort of like an implied kind of impressive intimidation, intimidating um, little display of Quirrell's power. Yeah, all all we get is that he knocked two hundred people down, yeah. um, which sounds like quite the feat. And I also liked this line too that I didn't pull out, but I'm I'm glad I'm remembering because. Uh, well, basically, so he asks, uh, Lupin asks Harry, do you have any idea of which of these girls might have wanted to kill you? And then Quirrell says, not murder, just stupidity. Yeah. And then the unfamiliar man looked surprised. He's like, holy hell, how are you like talking? Like, shouldn't yeah. you be unconscious for a few hours? And he says, Mr. Lupin, your concerns are misplaced. No wizard, no matter how powerful, casts such a charm by strength alone. You must do it by being efficient. Um, which I, I like what I like about that. Was, and he, so he was talking about like that's how he knocked two hundred people down, right? Is that yeah? That's by, what he was by being efficient to? Yeah. and badass. Yeah. Um, that's what I liked about uh, the the magic system in the inheritance cycle, which I keep referencing, but it's one of the other few fantasy series I've read. Um, like basically, the amount of magic you could do is proportional to your physical strength. Mm-hmm. And so, like to lift a person would you know if you could lift them physically um, with some caveats or whatever, then then you could lift up a person. So, like, if you wanted to, like, snap the neck of 200 people, it'd be really hard because it takes a lot of muscles. But it takes very little muscle to, like, swing your arm and, like, you know, sever the or- their aortic valve, right? Mm-hmm. So it'd be pretty easy to knock down 200 people doing that. Um, granted, Quirrell didn't kill all these people, and the magic the magic system is way different. But I just liked how he said, no, no, I didn't do it by yeah. just being super strong. I did it by being efficient, which is also, like, another flex of him saying, "I'm yeah, <laughs> I did it by strength, but also by being smart. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I remember when I read that, I was, like, I was kind of, I was wanting to, like, have that explained more like well wait what does he specifically mean like what was he because yeah there was sort of some sort of implied like like the the scientist version of like this was not a magic trick this was me like having been clever and so i was like well how tell me like what what did you do like what was it that was efficient about what you just did so it's kind of like i felt robbed me too i guess i'm not sure either i wonder what he did like i guess it's sort of implied like there would have been some like like impressive bit of just cleverness involved. And I kind of like wanted to know, well, what was it? We could brainstorm for a second. Like my first thought is like, you know, like the force push that you can do in star Wars video games, or I guess in the movies where it's just like an uncoordinated, just like shove. Um, yeah. So like that, that's, that's probably the least efficient way to do it. Right. So he could have swept a leg. He could have just like made all of like, he could have cast like this, uh, like slippery jinx on the, on the, yeah, so we, we don't have enough to go in because we're not even really sure. Like, I guess we sort of know that they got knocked down, but it's like we—it's a little vague as to what exactly happened or what he might have done to do it. So, I yeah. want more. I don't know. It's just because it's like, and it's probably like that's 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 kind of the the plot trick that you do is you like you just vaguely mention it. You don't describe things very in much detail, and then our brains kind of like fill in a lot more something that's a lot more impressive than than the thing you didn't describe. Yeah, I think that's a probably a good writing trick. Um, yeah, because yeah, because we're like we, because even Lupin, who's not some little minor uh, wizard, is like, wow, I can't believe, like, impressed with what Quirrell just did. Um, yeah, so, we yeah. establish 
only like what it did and that it was badass, but we don't know how. And that, that yeah. just leads us to know, oh, okay, cool. It was impressive to somebody who can be impressed by mm-hmm. this, like namely another adult defense professor. Yeah. Or I guess, you know, qualified to be defense professor, but yeah. not, not tenured yet. So. Well, but we, I mean, yeah, but as we're reading this, like, we know, we've all, we've all read the story, so we know this is, this is Lupin. Totally. And then, yeah, so Harry's learning that when he asks, uh, he says, oh, wait, you said we had met before? Where did we meet? He says, in Godric's Hollow. I changed the number of your nappies. Your nappies. Yeah, British for diapers. get all Britishy on them. And then we get a line break, and now they're in Professor Lupin's office, or I guess Mr. Lupin, um, because he's not, again, on staff. I'm sure he's probably getting some, I don't know. I wonder what, what the pay rate is for coming in and teaching people one spell. What is, do, do wizards have minimum wage? I wonder. Ah, I doubt it. Do they have health insurance? Knowing Lupin, Smungo's, he would do it out Smungo's of like, charge. heart. But if, if, if it was Lupin, he would do it because he's nice. If it was Quirrell, he would charge by the student. <laughs> He'd say, yeah, I'll do it for, uh, let's see, eight aliens, or eight, eight sickles a student or something. I don't know. And there's like, what, a thousand students there? So that add up. There you go. Pretty penny. Yes. All right. Um, so this, yeah, this next is, so yeah, we cut to, um, it's Harry in Lupin's office. And I really like this. I, t- I talked about this earlier. Um, this again, this was sinking in a little more like, oh, uh, as much as people hate me talking about the author, like um, this, like the author had to people be. people hate, dude. Just the, go, just yeah, have fun. The author had to be the person to write this. Um, and so, you know, the, the person writing this, like to be capable of that implies all of the things that what you are, are not saying about the, about the, um, character of Harry, um, because he very likes, sincere. like you can tell what I liked, like, first off, like the way he describes Lupin's like, again, you can tell like this, like there's affection there. You can feel that like there is affection for this character. And so he's almost like trying to do right by Remus Lupin in the way he would describe him. And I think he did a really good job. I really like. Um, the dialogue I thought was especially good, like the way he has um, Lupin talking. I think he did a really good job of, um, that's at least for me, because it's not like I can remember specific dialogue from either the movies or the books from Lupin, but like it really captures sort of like the person, my memory of the personality of Lupin as being this sort of like humble but powerful um, kind of self-deprecating guy. Like it's really sort of, because he sort of um, has his his hemming and his stuff Stumbling, I mean, not so much stuttering, but just kind of like his sort of awkward way of talking. Um, I don't know. I just, I just really liked it. Um, but then then we, it sort of gets called out, not sort of, it does get called out very explicitly, like the humility both in, um, well, first, like when Harry's uh, describing the office, he doesn't even describe it as Lupin's office. It's just sort of like this temporary office that he got to borrow because he didn't think he was going to have to be there for very long and he didn't want the house elves to go to much trouble to like try to fix it up and uh what was the it says it says where was the line oh it said something about a person that he tried not to bother house elves um which was both i think just like a good little line because it was like kind of its own little uh, mini paragraph um but also just like a good like description of of him as a person um but then and then this was the part i really liked and that um i think my note on it was i think well actually i didn't put it in our notes but my note on it was yes because um, what he says is, and despite, so he's describing Lupin, and despite that somehow there was a dignity about him that couldn't have been obtained by fine and expensive robes that wouldn't have fit with fine robes that was exclusive property of the shabby. Harry had heard of humility, but he'd never seen the real thing before. 
only the satisfied modesty of people who thought it was part of their style and wanted you to notice. Um, so I really like this because I also because it's mostly like and I've been talking like I'm I've never been not never but I've been much uns, much uncertainty around like how much of this arrogance is here on purpose and how much of this is just what we think is okay and normal um, and and not seeing enough of like paragraphs like this where it's very clear like okay this like this is coming from the mind of somebody who gets like that there is inherent value to humility um and that it's not the same thing as false modesty uh and he actually he's like he's right here like drawing that distinction like there's humility and then there's you know people just wanting to have it as a um as an affectation so it's really nice, and especially because, like, I, I just like the sincerity around how this was described. Of like, like, this is how sort of like the central description of who Lupin is, as far as in this story so far, um, and that it's done in a very like this is very clearly like that's something to be admired about him. So I really liked it a lot, and it was just like sort of very reassuring. That's like okay, yes, we like it helps me sort of like trust where this is going. So yeah, I. I 100% agree. It's nice that, uh, like, I think he did a really good job of capturing the voice and character of Lupin as yeah. we all know and love him. And it's definitely reassuring that, like, right off the bat, he doesn't get the Ron treatment. Um, I yeah. think, you know, Ron was written mostly out of the story, I think mainly so that Harry could have a different uh, story in this in this book. And, like, it was like, all right, how do I write Ron out? Okay, yeah, we'll just do it this way. And then... With this, it's like, oh no, he's getting the opposite of the Ron treatment. You know, he, yeah. we're gonna explicitly point out what all the things that everyone loves about Lupin, and then more. And to me, just as importantly, make Harry like all of those things. Yeah, and like he he notices and appreciates it. Um, I my my one sentence thing since I didn't pull out the quote was just that Harry observes that Lupin is actually a humble dude and not a hipster with seventy seventy dollar <laughs> jeans that are supposed to look shabby. Uh, that I mean, Distressed. I've seen those. You can buy jeans with pre-made holes, and they're way more expensive than nice cheap jeans. <laughs> I get this is some like documentary of like them making the holes on those jeans, like like at factories too strong, like some like sweatshop in I think it was in Vietnam was the was the one I saw of them like this like weird tool that like they they stretch the jeans across what's basically like an ironing board, and then this like rasp thing to like shred a hole into these brand new jeans to make them look all worn out. Oh man. And they'd got it done yeah. like all process. They like they could do all the like a whole pair of jeans could get all roughed up in like five seconds and then move on to the next one. Hmm. So, yeah, yeah it seems like a lot of wasted effort, but people are buying <laughs> them. So I mean, I buy my jeans without holes and then throw them out when they get too many. So uh, anyway, um, I did like the little throwaway line about um, about uh, the house elf thing. So yeah. uh, it it it's like a nod to Hermione's uh, spew thing that she did mm-hmm. where. The yeah. what the society for the promotion of elvish welfare or something, yeah. Um, and in canon, it it so like it was, kind of, it, was it was supposed to be silly and in kind of like yes, yeah, sort of a thing we kind of like about Hermione, but we weren't really we also were supposed to think that Hermione was being kind of silly. Well, and it, it was tough because like Dobby wanted to be free because he was literally tortured, yeah. but the rest of them like all live in torture. Like they have this compulsion to hurt themselves yeah. if they do something wrong or if something's not clean enough or if they dissatisfy their masters, which is like, as Harry points out, um, whoever had created house elves in the first place had been unspeakably evil, obviously. But that didn't mean that Hermione was doing the right thing now by denying sentient creatures the drudgery they had been shaped to enjoy. And I liked that that way of succinctly putting that 
um, kind of confusion down. Yeah. Like, because on the one hand, from you know, from the outside, it's like, oh my god, you've got slaves that like are pre-programmed to torture themselves and be really miserable if they if they aren't good slaves. This is like the most fucked up thing in the world. But the downside is, is like, uh, what was it? Winky. I haven't remembered her name in like five years. Um, <laughs> when she gets fired, she's just like becomes an alcoholic because she's she's desperately sad about not being a slave anymore. So like they they want to do that. It's yeah. so twisted, and so it, it would be one thing. In the originals, make, it's it's more like it's because it isn't like oh somebody did this um, unless I'm misremembering, but I think it's just sort of like oh it has always been this way, and it was just this sort of like thing that nobody thinks about very hard except Hermione. It's not clear where they uh, came yeah. from. It's just more like I I sort of assume that they I guess it, yeah, Canada never really explains where anything comes from, but yeah. uh and I don't, you know, whether this does or not, just the 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 guess is that wizards made them because they want to serve wizards, right? And yeah, they look I, I like don't, actually I think I, at least my like my read of like how that I mean again, it's it's cuz uh Rowling wasn't like worried about explaining every last thing. But my like how it fit into that in the way the story was told was that it was like to validate Hermione's take on it is that whenever anybody did ask, you know, whenever a somebody born of the wizarding world was asked about it, they just kind of like shrugged. They're like, like, I don't know. It's just always been this way. So I think it was like conspicuously not explained or not even like hinted at like which way it would go, because I think to sort of that our take of it would be that nobody really gives a shit. Um, and that there's something a little bit a little bit wrong with that. I think not as wrong as probably we would if we thought if we thought about it even more. But that that's sort of like that's validating at least Hermione's point of view on it is that anybody that does think about it, even like Sirius in the way he was uh, shitty to creature um, that that in the Wizarding yeah. world they're they're just not worth considering. And and even to the extent that we don't ever get any backstory on the origins of house elves because just nobody gives a shit. Yeah, no, I, I like that. But, but yeah, point. I do get the like if they had been made, it almost feels like that would have been said. Like somebody would have said that at some point. Um, so I yeah. think it was just sort of like left like completely. You know, it's just a big, you know, empty spot in in the world in the in that world of like where did they come from? And it, it is in this one too, at least so far. Yeah. Like we don't know where goblins came from either. But yeah. yet there's this race of of creatures. So that... I it, was like, it was Lithuania, wasn't it? Right, yeah, and and uh, house elves came from Transylvania, so boom, problem solved. Only Uh, Anyway, uh, Lupin's concerned that well, he asks like, "Hey, uh, uh, are your step parents treating you well?" And um, he was, and Harry says, "Yes, my parents. I have four: Michael, Mm -hmm. James, Petunia, and Lily." And he says, "Ah," and then again. Ah, yeah. I th- um, actually, that was what I highlighted. I'm like, that was really good. Like, that was very Lupin dialogue, where he's just kind of like, he's not sure what to say. It's kind of ah, yeah. It's yeah. very British about him. Just like you can see him like sitting there, like hemming and hawing about, not sure what to say. Yeah, I like it a lot. Yeah. Um, then there is the line about uh, he's like, oh, I was I was worried that they might have put you with like wicked step parents or something. Mm-hmm. And, Harry's like, oh yeah, that's actually a legit. He's thinking to himself, he's like, that's totally legit because that's what Dumbledore thought he was doing. Yeah, I think yeah, because that's and uh, the some I can't I don't I didn't pull the exact sentence, but like Lupin says that as if like like he's implying the thing that we were all saying that like oh I, that Dumbledore might have done that to you on purpose because he just thinks it's a thing that ought to happen because the man's crazy. Yeah. Um, and then then Harry asks about his. Um, his birth parents 
Yeah, and then it just cuts in, and I think it's sort of again a little montagey that it sort of like fast forwards in time. That uh, and I this was the other thing that I really liked about these chapters that was this little scene that because Harry's very earnestly just wants to just drain Lupin's brain of everything Lupin knows about his parents from this just very like raw emotional like I want to know my story and my history and my parents and you knew you were friends of my parents tell me everything you know and that he's and he's got this like like p- passing but sincere concern about like oh I am sucking all of Raymond Lupin's time up uh, and he's missing dinner but fuck it I want to hear all of this uh, in a very like 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 he's sincerely concerned that he's being a little selfish but this is like so like he's so thirsty for for all of this information about his parents that he just is sort of sitting there kind of wrapped you know, wanting to hear everything Lupin can say. Yeah, I like that. And it's, I mean, he, he says that he's, you know, feels kind of bad about it, but, it, you know, neither of them really wanted to stop talking about yeah. it. So um, at some point, you know, I'm sure that Lupin wouldn't mind troubling the house elves. Like, can you bring me some leftovers or something? Right. Yeah. So, and that's like, and even from the originals, like that's a very recurring uh, vibe you get from Lupin as somebody who's like, has this like big, you know, history and like this big pile of affection he feels for, for his friends that are dead um, and concern for Harry in kind of this way that like he has more concern and affection for Harry than he's sort of like allowed to have just because of the nature of, you know, where his relationship is. He's like, oh my God, I loved your parents so much, but you hardly know me. And so he's wanting to do anything he can for Harry, um, even more than is sort of like what other people would think is like enough. Um and like that, so that gets like replayed here, I think, in a, a very sort of faithful way to the, that original um, relationship with the character. Yeah, so. there's the the nice. So like then it, it does a line break to kind of signify how much time had gone past, and mm. then um, Harry's kind of screwing up the courage to ask a critical question, and he interrupts a sports story, and he's trying to you know mm-hmm. be polite about it, but he's describing James doing some Quidditch stuff, and then Harry's like, some oh, intentionally to silly terminology. Oh yeah, I guess you had to be yeah. there. But he, he didn't want to say that, so um, he just says, Mr. Lupin, kind of like a dejecting, and mm-hmm. just straight up is like, was my father a bully? And Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was, again, it was well done. Like, Lupin's reaction was well done because he was sort of like, wait, what, what, what did they say to you? And you can't judge a man by what he did as a child. And Harry's like, well, I judge me by what I'm doing, and I'm a child. Um, but, yeah, the sort of the awkwardness of of Lupin's reaction was like really well, it, it just felt very real because like, it wasn't all smooth and like a, you know, a nice answer with a, with a bow um, tied around it. It was like him not having a perfect answer for it. Yeah. Well, he, he gives kind of like this. Um, well, when he, yeah, like you said, Harry says, I'm a young boy and I judge myself. And Harry says, I want to know why I want to understand because to me, it seems like there isn't any possible excuse for that. And his voice is shaking a bit, which I like. It's a touch of, yeah, you know, emotion here. Like, that'd be a weird thing to ask about. And just, yeah. I think it conveys conveys that really well. It's like, I, I want to ask about, like, I I hear tales that my my dad that I never met was a complete asshole. Like, is this true? Can, is there, were there mitigating circumstances? And, yeah. And he's like, um, yeah. And he says, like, and I, and it sounds like I'm not going to like the answer, but I need to know. Yeah. Oh, this yeah. was the line that, yeah, that I was thinking of, which he says, did, were there, did my father have any extending, in extenuating circumstances, poor home life or something like that? Or was he just being naturally nasty? And then mm. in his head, he says, cold? Um, I know. Yeah, I remember that, too, because I, yeah, I thought it was interesting. Because, yeah, I noticed, like, oh, he didn't say that out loud. That was, like, his thought to himself. Yeah, he's. I think he's trying to yeah. see, like, hey, did my, you know, 
my mysterious dark side is like that my yeah. was my dad also have uh, did he struggle with psychopathy basically yeah. <laughs> um and then, I really, I liked, I really liked Harry in this scene because he was very undefended. Like he was saying things that could be used against him in that conversation, um, and so it was like a very like like a trusting, like he was trusting Lupin. Um, yeah, I think that it shows that they bonded. Yeah. You know, during this, however, like I think it's been like an hour and a half or something, yeah. however long they were talking. So and that was the great thing about Lupin's character, and and the, I can't remember the name of the actor. Um, that played him in the movie that that guy did it. I mean, the character was written that way. And then that, that actor did a really good job of portraying him that way of where Lupin is just this like instantly likable person. Totally. Um, yeah. In a way that like, and it's not like, Oh, he's just like, likable. you like, Oh, and totally deserving of being liked like that. Like he's a very trustworthy, loyal person. Yeah. I like that. Um, yeah, I guess all, all Remus has to say about the, uh, the bullying thing. He's like, well, it was just kind of what you did if you're in Gryffindor and, I didn't yeah. think so back then. I thought it was the other way around, but it might have been Black who got James into it, really. Because, yeah. you know, like, so in hindsight, you know, now that he knows that Sirius Black was, for some reason, some secret some secret asshole, yeah. he was like, oh, maybe Black was egging him on. I think he wanted to show everyone that he wasn't Slytherin, so, you know, he, he would, you know, bully them and stuff. And Yeah, I thought that was um, interesting how he's, like, trying to, like, loop in his bot into the, like, okay, we're just going to demonize Sirius Black for anything. Um, well, and so yeah, like but it's done in a way that I think is very Lupin too, because he he mentions. Um, yeah, so like, yeah, he's not being like vindictive about it. He's like, oh, I guess yeah, Sirius wasn't the person we thought he was, so maybe that was him. Yeah, yeah. There was the nice line about um, it, there's like a line break, and then it's like they're talking about Peter Pettigrew, and um, it says that Harry was crying; he couldn't help it. Uh, it you know it hurt worse to hear it from Remus than anything he'd hurt yeah. ever felt himself that. You know, Harry lost two parents he didn't remember, and he knew only from stories. And Remus Lupin had lost all four of his best friends in less than 24 hours. And the last one, Peter Pettigrew, there had just been no reason at all. And so this is the, like, again, super Lupin-y line that I like, which was, Sometimes it still hurts to think of him in Azkaban. His voice said almost a whisper, I'm glad, Harry, that Death Eaters, are, Death Eaters aren't allowed visitors. Mm-hmm. It means I don't have to feel ashamed for not going. Because it's like... yeah. You know, you've, you've got this friend that you grew up with, and then he murders your other friend. Mm-hmm. And it's like, do I visit this guy in prison? Do I? Like, I know that would be do so. I, do I bring like that's him? so much worse. Like if he had died, then you could like move on. But like, no, you you know that like he's your friend, but he killed your other friends, or at least you think so. Um, well, it occurs to me now as we're talking about this, like this is some alternate universe, so maybe Sirius Black did, and he's a terrible person, and I would be really pissed off. <laughs> but you know, it's funny as I'm think, as I'm like as I was thinking about that, that I realized I like I have just such a like knee jerk uh, love of Gary Oldman that I refuse to entertain a universe that has decided Sirius Black is a bad guy. So, <laughs> so I'm just not having it. Well, obviously that never comes up again. So, um, <laughs> or it's the most important thing in the story. You decide. Yes. Yeah. Uh, what I like about that, it, well, it was just specifically the line where Remus says he's glad that he's not allowed to visit, yeah. so it takes the choice away from him. Yeah. So he's because like imagine mi- visiting your your murder friend in prison, yeah. right? And, and there's something like, again like that's very like loopiny kind of um, uh, self deprecating, where he's like you know it's like because he, he's kind of saying like I don't know that I'm good enough of a person to like visit him if I thought I would if I thought I could. Oh yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. So he's like relieved to not have to deal with the like the moral dilemma. Yeah, totally. Um, there was uh, 
the and I, I want to get to the the next chapter because I think it's longer than the two of these put yeah. together. But um, they he does ask about Peter Pettigrew and what had happened there, and um, the uh, they talk about courage, um, which is the name of the chapter, and uh, he says like, uh, what was the line? It's easy to stand by your friends if you're a hero like Godric, bold mm-hmm. and strong like people think Gryffindor should be. But Peter was more afraid than any of us. And doesn't that make him also the most brave? And Harry says it does. Um, yeah, I was so conflicted about that because and I like that. We've heard that um, that theme in, in a lot of other stories, um, which I'm, I totally like. But and I guess we still don't know, like, what's the real story with <clears throat> Peter and Sirius. But, you know, my my baseline position from the original is that Peter Pettigrew is a, is a traitor and, and he framed Sirius. Um, and so to like be using Peter as the example of what brave means is like like there's a conflict in my head about well wait no he's actually a shithead. Um, so yeah, that would. But, but the version of events as as Lupin understands them. Yeah, yeah, no, it works. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, that all fits as far as everybody knows in that story. But like in you know in our brains we know, or at least, uh, well, you, you may know differently having read the whole thing. But like at least you know that my initial exposure to this is Peter Pettigrew is a bad man. Um, and so then it like doesn't sit right to use him as an example of like even so yeah technically from what everybody knows from that story like yes that does work like he would be brave if that were true but we know it's not uh yeah so it's like a noble lie yeah because um, he even asks well it a lie yeah, and then it's sort of like yeah and then it's like takes away from the like the the validity I mean it doesn't it shouldn't but then it does like take away from the validity of that idea which is the idea I totally like but. Yeah, Harry yeah. says that, you know, I know this is not a happy story, but I think if you wanted to tell uh, Neville Longbottom, he'd really benefit from hearing about this. Yeah. And and so it's like, if Neville gets all this nice inspiration from it, and then whatever it turns out that he learns that Peter Pettigrew was actually this shifty rat, then, yeah. uh, you know, does he still get to, like, keep that inspiration from this fake story? Like, yeah. it's it's hard to say. But, oh, yeah, and that reminds um, me of that, that we get called out specifically that Lupin was a, a Hufflepuff, right? Uh, Harry guesses that because he doesn't oh, want to bother yeah. house elves. I don't think that we get um, confirmation of that. Oh, yeah, and I guess, uh, I mean, well, and we wouldn't get that in the originals because that the whole house thing in the original books didn't actually mean very much. So no, didn't, I think, didn't, I know that it, it confirmed in here that it says that Sirius, James, and Peter were all Gryffindors. Oh, Gryffindors. I'm assuming uh, Lupin was. Too. Oh, that's true. He probably would have been. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I liked the line where... Uh, where he's describing Peter Pettigrew. And um, I also like, I'll, I'll say them in order, um, that Peter likes like uh, just collecting knowledge, like not to do stuff with, just to know things. Oh, yeah, and I'm like, like, oh my God, I totally get that. Yeah, he's like, a, he's got like a hacker brain. And like, I used, you know, like I would, in junior high, like, you know, I'd eavesdrop on conversations people that I didn't care about because mm-hmm. I was curious what they were saying. Like, you know, it, it wasn't like, uh, you know, like at school, you know, it wasn't, yeah. I don't think anything pathological or creepy but I'd, I'd like to know what was going on um and i you know again i didn't blackmail i didn't do anything yeah. it's just i like to know well, no, yeah I, th- I think that's like a uh, natural nerd thing i think that's okay. like one of the things that that not i don't even know if it's a major thing but a, an essential characteristic to being a nerd is that weird curious like brain where like you just like taking shit apart just for the sake of taking shit apart totally um yeah um then there was the, it was just like an emotional line and it was delivered well by the voice actor in the audiobook too where um he said and i understood why the hat put him in gryffindor because you know he, he acted like a ravenclaw mm-hmm. um and it's uh you know because he he 
was willing to actually, and again, in their understanding of it, be the hero here. And it's actually worth bringing up at this point, um, as a brief aside, that the author explicitly doesn't use, or basically just throws out the Fidelius charm that, like, you can keep a place secret if there's a secret keeper. Um, oh, yeah. Because it's ridiculously overpowered. Yeah. And, uh, that I mean, that was the thing that didn't quite make sense in canon either. It's like, all right, we'll let, we'll let my best friend be the secret keeper. No, no, wait, we'll make this other guy be the secret keeper. It was all kind of, like, it, vague. Like, he didn't really... It was not well-described and vague as to what it meant. So it was, for me, it was just this, like, kind of... Not, I mean, it wasn't super important, but it's also like it didn't make sense. It didn't like parse well in my brain. I just kind of like glossed over it. Well, I think it worked like, kind of what like, does it um, mean? what was the, the house that they had the Order of the Phoenix at? It was the old uh, black mansion uh, that yeah. Sirius lived at. So that was also Fidelia's charm. Grimoire, you could Grim, see it. Grim, Grim, Grimwalds, something like that. Grimwald Place. Grimwald yeah. Place. Yeah, um, yeah, so Harry could only see it once he had read the address on a piece of paper that was like written to him. Yeah. And so, like, if you have that level of secrecy, that's, like, the most secret thing in the universe. And if you make your secret keeper, like, swear an unbreakable vow to keep it secret, then you're, you've are you got permanent immunity because it's literally unfindable, right? Uh, so, anyway, this, just, like, a, as a piece of meta knowledge, this book doesn't have that because the author thought that that was way too overpowered. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, they, like, the defense for the original books is that she at least didn't make that, like, terribly central to that like we didn't spend a lot of time dwelling on it so then i didn't have to you know be bothered very hard about how little sense it made no totally yeah. um so yeah as far as that goes uh oh yeah then there was the harry's trying to figure out like you know why did black attack peter Pettigrew and what was going on there mm-hmm. and he's like oh maybe i'll tell you when you're older you know um and then harry's like oh i've heard that line before mm-hmm. uh so he puts together that they were uh, um, at some point romantically entangled and I like I like it this just as like a bit of like random background knowledge about their childhood because like I don't you know just I'm never one because I'm happen to be a straight white guy that like really is overly concerned with representation but there weren't any gay people in the canon books yeah. um, and that this the other thing like the way that I like this representation isn't that it was like oh yes and it was this beautiful cute relationship um it it was what you might expect from a high school thing, right? Where yeah. it's like, uh, Lupin says, once a long time ago, a sad affair ending in vast tragedy, or so so it seemed to us when we were young. Um, so he says, like I thought that had had long since been over and done with, buried beneath adult friendship until the day Black killed Peter. Yeah, and um, that was it. Felt it f- feels to me like because okay, this is supposed to be like the early '90s, but these were written like only about like 10 years later than that. Like that was a different time. Um, and But this almost feels like if Rowling wrote all of this over again, but today this is, I mean, she would have done something like this. I totally um, agree. I think you're so, right. I mean, so then in that sense, it felt like it, it, like it does fit. And it, it wasn't quite a retcon because if you read between the lines, it's there, but Dumbledore was gay um, and had a past with uh, Grindelwald. Yeah. Um, but that was never like spelled out because again, it was yeah. I guess the early two thousands and people weren't ready for that yet or something. Yeah. Well, no, um, I think that also was I. I think to some extent that was slightly retconned by by Rowling, and I don't think she like was writing it in there as like this decided definite thing. Yeah, I it think she's it, sort of like oh, like, she, she oh that room would fit. For it, yeah, but yeah, I mean, some retconning going on there for yeah. sure. 
we'll we'll leave the rolling retcons aside. Maybe we'll have a just a if we ever have a short episode, we'll have ten minutes where we shit on some just of the retcons. Just How's a, that sound? a wizard poop episode. Perfect. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, I was going to bring up more, but I resisted the temptation and move on to chapter forty-three, <laughs> which is humanism part one. And I liked uh, the. This is kind of just another cold open. Um, the gentle sun of January shone on the cold fields outside Hogwarts, and uh, it's describing how they're they're out there to learn the practicing of a specific or a certain spell. A spell yeah, it took me a while to catch up. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think it did that on purpose. I, yeah. I liked the the, re- the build up and reveal to it. Um, it says cookies and lemonade were also considered helpful. Uh, the I don't know. Oh, yeah. It doesn't give us Patronus charm until a few paragraphs in. Yeah. Um, but that it's like apparently the mil- the ministry committee of cur- committee. Co- wow. I can't <laughs> say that. Committee of curriculum um, decided like, oh, no, it's too hard. Fifth years and only um, fifth years and above. And that's because like, yes, it's got complicated wand gestures. But that just means that kids have to try harder. But it takes more than mere magic that it's fueled by your your happy memories and your positive thoughts um so apparently that's part of what makes it difficult for children to cast as well but yeah uh, i thought it was interesting because I mean, that's like harry's self-talk about that is like well no this isn't you don't have to be a fifth year to do it it's just you know a kid might have to practice harder so that's a very kind of like hairy way of looking at it like oh no i can you know i'm i'm not just a kid i can do this if i just work hard at it and that all fits very well with Harry. And then, like, and I didn't even really connect it until later that, like, yes, he thinks all that, and that's very in character for him, but then he can't do it. Um, that's a good point. Yeah. But it's also what Quirrell and Lupin think, too. Yeah. Like, they're all here teaching, because, or, you know, Quirrell wants to teach it because he thinks it's possible, and so does Lupin, apparently. Yeah. So. Yeah, and, and, well, and I think that's, like, part of how, that, how it works as, like, a story device is, like, this is, like, and not even so much as like a judgment of the approach or anything, but like that, that attitude um, that like, Oh, you just have to like try hard. And um, like, that doesn't always work. Like this is a, this is a part where that fails Harry. So even though it's like a, a good strategy almost all the time, even when it doesn't work, it's probably still the good strategy to have, but like that doesn't work all the time. It's not enough all the time. Yeah. And it's, it's like, cause the, the part that he could practice at and get good at, the, mm-hmm. the complex wand emotions he gets right. Yeah. Lupin says that his, his wand work is perfect. Um, so, like, the things that you can train yourself on are fine. It's the it's the not magic part that he's struggling with. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and what's sad, almost sad about it, too, is, and, like, you pulled the quote, and he's, again, very, like, almost television-feeling uh, way to describe it's like a, like a flashback montage thing of um, sorry, uh, Harry's remembering his father and, and so the quote is, good luck at school, Harry. Do you think I bought you enough books? You can never have enough books, but you certainly tried. It was a really, really good try. Um, and so this is, and you had pointed out like this, that was something I had I had noticed before, like the sort of complicated but like sincere affection around this thing with books, with his family. Like, so that's one of the, the that's the memory Harry tries to latch onto as his happy thought to, to cast his Patronus. And what's sort of like, sad about it is like because it's very sincere it's not this like force like oh i guess i have this happy i guess i like when my dad tried to buy books for me it was this very like that's something that's really important for him and, and i think it even says like it that brought him to tears i think to bring it up so it's this like very like heartfelt emotion and this thing that's like really important for him and it doesn't work um so yeah. it's like oh 
And then um, there was this nice um, kind of buildup where he's he goes off with the other failures and he sits next to the the, the one person whose failure had surprised mm-hmm. him the most. And then I just put in the notes, shocked Pikachu. Um, <laughs> Hermione can't cast the Patronus charm either. And I really, because, and I wouldn't have, I, I probably would have had the same reaction that like the other students have later. Like I was surprised, but it was like really nice. It's like, oh, uh, and because, and I think we'd already gotten to this other line that was just like, just hurt to read it was there's something horribly humiliating about being informed that you weren't happy enough that yeah you're like oh i know this feeling that's so depressing um but yeah you like these are like everyone's well there's these things you're like oh yes this is a this is a a core heartfelt feeling from the author and from all of us yeah and it's tough and then they go off to kind of elaborate on that nicely soft punch title Patronus Charm, wizards who could and couldn't. Yeah. With, like, what it means to not be able to cast it. And it doesn't necessarily mean not happy, right? Yeah. Uh, there, there seems to be something to it. Because, like, Hermione seems happy anyway. Yeah. Even from, like, what we've had inside her head. Yeah. And, like, and I think that Harry, was, like, Harry's the really nice thing about what, like, having Hermione also not be able to do it. Like, that choice by the author to do that is, like, a... And what he does later when talking with, with about Godric. Gryffindor is it is a way to like show like empathy about this like this is not a judgment and even Hermione who you would have thought could have and who is definitely not this like downer chick um also couldn't do it so it's like trying to like go, going out of the way to like show the like this is not a like shortcoming of Harry's yeah I I like that a lot and there was this really nice line by Harry when they're when he's talking with her about it he says I I'd probably feel a lot worse if you hadn't failed you're, if you hadn't also failed, you're the nicest person I know that I've ever met, Hermione. And if you also can't do it, it might it means I might still be be good. I love um, the way, like that that very raw, like naked way that he, that he put that, and how like sincere it felt. And yeah. It was very like this all this all these chapters this time. This felt like a really big shift in in how Harry's been acting. And it's very not because he the rest of the time he's sort of like not the rest of it, but like kind of the image I get of, of Harry in the beginning is like this like cornered kid with a pointy stick like poking at people telling them to fuck off and back away um, and that he's like becoming a lot more like mellow like trusting things more and uh, and then we're like willing to you know not have to have all the answers to everything yeah it's uh, it's like he's growing up a little bit yeah and I think it's you know it it's easy to easier to see in hindsight like you know one of the reasons why he's like such a weird kid is because you know all of his peers quote unquote when he was from like seven onward were uh tutors from oxford yeah right? yeah that's so what i was gonna like, say like he didn't have peers exactly so, yeah. so like he's finally he finally has peers and he's finally making friends and it turns out he's capable of having friends which is nice yeah. he yeah you're right he gets to be raw with hermione and it i like that it, it lands yeah um and, and there's uh, something and again there's like it's because there's like a humility to it and it's the same way in when he was trying to apologize like he's saying you know i i am hoping i can be as good as you um and sort of the same way that he was like i i, I don't know how to make this right hermione but i want to so it's this sort of like you know admission of imperfection yeah you know? and it's like he, he admires her yeah and he admires her for qualities that he doesn't have yeah and i think that that's or that he wants to have more of maybe right yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Like he admires Professor Quirrell because Quirrell is like him and that he's like smart and powerful. And Harry is like, I want to be smart and powerful. Um, with Hermione, it's more like 
she's the you know kind and uh and also intelligent too but it's Mm -hmm. like she has this uh i don't i'm sure there's words in the thesaurus for me but like nice with a capital n you know like Mm -hmm. she's a good person and he wants that too so he he, you know they he he can find qualities that he admires about her that he wants to to try and emulate for himself um so then they uh i think it does kind of like a where they're walking down to to towards the you know the the fight session with the dementor but then it does like a flashback to the library and uh it's this really like um I don't know, kind of brief, but... Oh, when they're uh, reading about Gryffindor. Yeah. And the best I could find that... Oh, that's what, yeah, because Harry says, like, like what they, because, and that's sort of like the thing Harry and Hermione have in common is they're bummed out and stressed out, and so what are they going to do? Well, they're going to go to the library because it's like their happy place. Hell yeah. Um, And, yeah, and so then they're reading... um, Well, yeah, you you had the title, it's... uh, what was it uh, like? The, the, Patronus, the Patronus Charm, Wizards Who Couldn't. Who couldn't, 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 yeah. It's a story yeah. like throwaway title. Like, yeah, and it's so it, it says that it, you'd never think a book with a title like that would be the saddest book Harry had ever read. <laughs> and what makes it sad is it, it gives like a three paragraph biography of Godric Gryffindor, yeah. you know, who'd, who had defeated Dark Lords, fought to protect commoners and muggles, and, um, it was finally only when he got when he was really old and could you know too old really to keep fighting wars that he united the other most powerful wizards of the era to raise Hogwarts, and it would be the one accomplishment to his name that wasn't about war, and it was Salazar, not Godric, who taught the first Hogwarts class in battle magic. Godric had taught the first Hogwarts class in herbology, the magics of green growing life, and it's just this like beautiful sentiment of. You know, he had, he had fought just wars for, I don't know, I'm assuming 120 years, like Dumbledore, mm-hmm. right? And he's like, I'm going to retire and teach kids about plants. Like, mm-hmm. this will be a, a positive thing that I can do. This won't be about fighting. And, and I like cause I like this, too, because we have, I mean, there's a lot of it. Like, it feels like people, like, laid down their arms, like, not for this story, but, like, the the tone of the of the, of the book so far is, has shifted. Um, where because there's been this like undertone of like you know Gryffindors are the bullies, um, which is like kind of like what Harry's was wondering about with his um, with his father. But so there's been there's been a little bit of sort of like villainizing Gryffindor as some like weird abstraction of like the man, the jocks, um, yeah. And but that so this is like a a, a a sad story really humanizing Godric Gryffindor and I think a way that's very and very much sort of identifying his character and personality in the sort of way that, that Griffin, that the Gryffindor house is stereotyped as being like the brave warrior thing. Um, so like describing him in a way that totally identifies with that, but not in some kind of like caricature kind of way. Um, but then, and then this totally like sad, like, yes, he was all these things, but the dude could not cast a Patronus. Um, and I, and it didn't even really try to like describe it as like, Oh, like it was this strange out of character, thing it was like it sort of made sense like he had this kind of like sadness underneath him so it wasn't like totally out of left field that he wouldn't be able to cast a patronus but and so the end this kind of like went back to you know harry's um you know harry feeling bad about like his happy thought isn't enough of a happy thought in order to cast a patronus um that i mean and this really stood out as a sort of like a really authentic thing from the author of like like a, a thing he's like kind of working out with himself of of this like feeling bad about your own perceived shortcomings of just like your mood um 
And yeah. there's uh, this really great list line that I, I pulled from. Uh, so then supposedly at Gryffindor's on his deathbed, um, as people, as they're, as he's talking about like, oh, whether or not he can um, cast a Patronus and that he didn't want it to be taken. Like he didn't want his, that inability to be, to be interpreted as some sort of like emo, uh, you know, like turn that, that sort of sadness or disability into like some sort of trait to be emulated. Um, and so the, the line is, and yet for those who did follow in his footsteps, he hoped they would remember that Gryffindor had told his house that it was all right for them to be happier than him, that red and gold would be bright, warm colors from now on. Um, yeah, so I thought that was really cool. And is it like all this felt like very intense and very heartfelt the way it was described. I really liked it. I like that a lot too. And it's, it's, it did all the things that you said. It, it humanizes Gryffindors because you're right. Like they are kind of painted kind of jockey and uh, all that from earlier on. Yeah. And then, you know, we get characters like Dumbledore and Professor McGonagall who are Gryffindors and we love them and they're not bullies, but it's like uh, this, this gives this nice, just uh, this beautiful origin of what this house stands yeah. for. And, you know, Godric Gryffindor had been a good man, not a happy one. But he didn't want that for his uh, spiritual descendants, right? He, yeah. He's like, no, for the people who take my house, I want them to know that, no, my the crest of my house are, is warm and happy from now on. It wasn't for me, but it, it will be for my heirs. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's a beautiful. great story, yeah. It. And it, like, it's sort of like it humanized him in a way of like, okay, he's not, he's not perfect, but he was but great in spite of not being perfect. And then while also not trying to like fetishize that imperfection as something that should be like emulated. Exactly. And Godric was fully aware of that and didn't yeah. want people to take the wrong message. So, yeah. um, and it worked right. Yeah. Uh, Dumbledore and McGonagall seem to be, you know, it, it doesn't seem like all it takes is happiness is to cast the Patronus, right? There's something else that Harry's missing. Cause he's got happy memories. And what I like about it is that so does Hermione, but it's not working for her. Um, so like it's, it's not clear what shortcoming they have, but like the rest of the school just seems to think that no Patronus equals bad person. Yeah. And the, the knowledge that Godric couldn't cast it didn't seem to be uh, like widely disseminated. So um, it's, it's not clear. Yeah. Uh, and I like, like doing this with, with Gryffindor and also having Hermione not be able to do it. It's like, gives a sort of like very forgiving tone to it, which I liked a lot. Yeah. I liked, um, uh, there it's not quite, you know, it, cause things are still heavy and emotional enough where it's like, it's not comic relief. It's a bit of levity. That's, that's what it is where, um, they're talking about, Hey, you know, on a happier note, if you do go full, co- full corporeal Patronus, what do you think your animal will be? And Hermione is like <laughs> an otter immediately. And she's like, yeah, a- absolutely an otter. What about you? And he says, Peregrine Falcon, cause they're fast and awesome. And, uh, but, and he's like, but why an otter? And she just smiles and doesn't say anything. <laughs> and that like that, and that was her Patronus in the in the original, right? Yeah, yeah, I like that. Yeah, I like, it's the same sort of like, and that the that was sort of the way, or at least the same vibe I got uh, at the, when they're Christmas at the Grangers. The way she sort of says to him, like, "You're not allowed to talk shit about how my parents treat me." Like it was just like she doesn't feel the need to like convince him why it's like good. She just like smiles at him, like. Okay. Yeah, I mean, otters are adorable. I love them. <laughs> I, I I don't know what my Patronus would be. I'm sure there's an online Facebook quiz that I could take that with time. <laughs> as long as you give them your like mother's maiden name and your social security number. 
blood type and shoe size it's... yeah i like to you know it'd be fun if you're like oh yeah no silverback gorilla you know nine inch skull uh whatever you know all the stuff that joe rogan always says about him that meme on on reddit um yeah i don't know uh I like it. Like, yeah. And there's some sort of like the, the not saying anything and just smiling. Like, at least for me, there's some portion of that, which is, again, like sort of winking at the camera that like the not saying anything and smiling is like the answer is it's otters because that's the way it is in the original books. Oh, yeah. I like that. Like, that's the sufficient explanation. <laughs> like, I don't have to justify this. That's what it is in the original. Totally. I can dig it. I I like it just because she's just like, nope, otters. I love nope. them. That's all. Otters. So like it, it works on two levels. Yeah. Otters are just innately cool. Well, I, it sort of stood out too because, like, at least for, like the Harry's, like, oh, they're a peregrine falcon, which is like, a, so like conspicuously not what they were in the original. But it, my take of it was it was sort of like a an eleven year old boy's like, oh, I, my my animal's gonna be the super awesome bird of awesome. It's gonna be peregrine falcons. They're fast and they're awesome. Right. Awesome. If, if- if, if Hogwarts was in America, it'd be like, my, my Patronus is a bald eagle. <laughs> but like a, like, a, like a bald eagle with a machine gun. Yeah. And, 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 and grenades. Yeah, my Patronus can be the worst hammer. Perfect. There you go. Does that work? No. No, it's mm, not, not I'll Patronus. Thinking. Mm. Uh, so they, as it moves toward the, like, the line break, it's, it's, they're approaching, um, the, they can see in the distance people approach the the auras bringing in this this cage and uh, he I just like the um the it, it's like dramatic build up yeah and like so Harry can see like that I think like three he can see the three Patronuses because of what they're like giving off light or something and then I like because like the description is that he's very far away and you can just sort of like see it off in the distance and then he think that he thinks he's starting to see something and I, we were able to sort of intuit that that's the the dementor that he's seeing but i like how his because his his thoughts to himself he's like i can't possibly be seeing that from this far away i must be imagining it um and then that's sort of like that's how it's getting into his head it's like he's not even sure if he's really seeing it or not it's like oh it's so evil i can see it from over here um, and he thinks he can almost feel it yeah yeah he's, he's like oh but it couldn't like, like yeah it couldn't get through like three patronuses and make me feel it from this far away and and he talks about that later. That he's like, oh, this, you know, it's just trying to get in my. There's what does he call it, like placebo effect or something? Yeah, he thinks um, that he's placebo uh, yeah. placebo affecting himself. Uh, there's actually a word for that, nocebo, no which is a uh, negative impact placebo, which actually exists. Um, if you give people, you know, a fake drug yeah. that you tell them like this will, uh, whatever, this give you a mild you headache. Yeah. People can experience mild headaches from them. Um, so yeah, he, he he's imagining some some negative placebo effect. He's imagining that's where it's coming from. Yeah. I my interpretation of it is that it actually is the Dementor reaching him. I think that it is actually. Oh uh, yeah, because as we field. yeah as we found later, there's something there's something fucky with this whole Dementor thing. So I, maybe... I'm thinking that it's just hitting everybody. Like the yeah, um, you know like if you imagine uh, putting a really thick lampshade over a bright light, except you know in this the Dementor is the bright light. Like it'll block out almost all of it. But some of it will still reach out, yeah. right? But there's something there's there is there's something going on because you know that when this all goes south and then there's something like Patronus is all over the place. It's still not enough. So there's something like something fucked up's going on here. Yeah, we'll have to. Right, so, we'll we'll get there. Um, yeah. So it's moving forward. It describes like what the safe level of exposure was, and you know he even by like wizard, the standard standards of Hogwarts, like this is pretty. Yeah. Uh, 
pretty brutal um, trial by fire. But you know, yeah, it's described like described so. like like exposure to radiation. Like twenty seconds is okay, but forty seconds, you'd probably be okay up to forty seconds. Yeah. yeah. And I also like that it. I don't think Harry even calls it out, but like it does say something super badass that that Dumbledore has been there all fucking day. Yeah. For everybody, presumably in their fifth year and younger, maybe even in their fifth year, to learn the Patronus charm. Um, so I don't know however long it takes to get through. I don't know. I forget how many kids are there are per year. Um, and this is only the ones who want to learn it and try it in front of a Dementor. So it's not going to be the entire student body. But yeah. you get the impression that Dumbledore has been outside all day, standing next to this Dumbledore this very, like, on and off. Super Dumbledore that like he is, you know, pulling off this badassness. But like Dumbledore never flexes. He's just like doing it. No, he, like he just whatever. he's tanking it. Yeah. Like <laughs> tanking exactly. Yeah, but he, but but, he, but he's he's not going to draw attention to it. Yeah. But like by the way, like, like it's. It's mentioned briefly when they're discussing the security around it in the last chapter, or in the in the chapter a few months ago, where he and Dumbledore are brainstorming how this could be a plot. He's like, "No, the the Aurors couldn't stand the repeated exposure." Yeah. But he doesn't go on to finish the sentence. Like, yeah, but I can. <laughs> that is an excellent example of the difference between uh, false modesty and humility. Dumbledore does not at all try to deny that he is the most powerful wizard in the world and clearly the only one qualified to stand there, but he's not flexing about it. And he doesn't feel he's, the need to bring not, it up. It's just flexing. like, but he's, oh, exactly. He's not trying to avoid it, but he's also like, he's, he didn't go out of his way to like point that out to anybody. He's like, well, no, it's got to be me. He wasn't going to tell anybody why it had to be him, but they asked, and so he said, and then he just moved on. It, it, yeah, it might have been uncharacteristic of Dumbledore to say, well, to the best of my knowledge, I'm the only person on the planet strong enough to do this. <laughs> So you noobs, just back off. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So I'm trying to get... Oh, there was a line. um, It's like in parentheses. uh, The the little parenthetical where Harry's talking about in his reading, he had discovered uh, about the Dementor's kiss, which would apparently eat your soul. And that this was used by wizards who believed this to execute criminals, which was a thing that was in canon. Mm -hmm. And... That's like the most horrifying thing in the world. Like when Harry was trying to explain to Dumbledore how bad death was, and he's like, imagine destroying a soul. Apparently, this is actually how they kill people in in the wizarding world. You know, it's not like crucifixion. I guess maybe it is. No, it's worse because your your eternal soul survives crucifixion. Uh, I guess so. Yeah, I mean, you get to go to heaven afterwards. Like, yeah, sure, it sucks. um, But then you get to go and enjoy paradise forever, You get to go to heaven. If if you're an afterlife person. But like... The, the establishment of Wizarding World thinks that, oh, yeah, souls are a thing, and Dementors eat them. So, yeah, for bad people, we'll let them eat their souls. Like, holy hell. Um, I'm trolling you I think now. that I, is I, I shouldn't horrifying. troll you right now, but you don't get to go to heaven. You're going to be frozen in a jar with your brain with the rest of your cryonic people going to hell. Hey, cryonics is act, uh, the cryonics Institute does whole you're, body preservation, you're gonna, you're, not just the, not just you're the gonna head. You're going to be so. frozen like a popsicle forever while the rest of us are dancing with the angels. If and then that, won't you be sorry. I have considered that possibility. Um, <laughs> if, if it works out that the universe actually works that way, then whenever I do die, uh, I anticipate that I'll end up there just, you know, sometime after the rest of everyone else who didn't get preserved or, you know, lived forever, right? Mm-hmm. Or lived as long as they wanted. Like, at some point, the universe will end or yeah, we're not, something, right? We're not going to save uh, you any popcorn. <laughs> not going to save you any popcorn. Man, <laughs> rude. All right. Uh, yeah. All right, I'm done so trolling. we have... Uh, Let's see. Was Anthony Goldstein the first to go? Um, I think he was. Yeah, because no. that was sort of like the, I think, well, I think it was the first one described because that was like the big like description. Like that was our first 
witnessing of what is it like when some, when they let the Dementor out. Yeah, well, yeah, it was the first one described, I think, but it, there was the throwaway line where it was, not throwaway, but the, the short line where it says uh, um, Professor Dumbledore had been standing there, or like each time uh, that the Patronus week, winked out, Professor Quirrell seemed to wince slightly uh, while waiting to test the next student. Mm-hmm. So uh, presumably they'd been testing people up through G. Oh, yeah, I guess they've been going alphabetically. What was that? Li- so wh- how did you interpret that line about Quirrell wincing? Was that, I sort like, I didn't process it fully, but the, that it implied something about his Voldemortishness, his potential Voldemortishness or something? Or was that more about, like, about him, like, being affected by the Dementor? Or I wasn't sure. Was it, like, was it about the Dementor or was it about some revealing of something sinister? For me, this was this back sort of just my assumption that the the Dementor is very subtly reaching out to the entire area. Okay, so that it was affecting um, Quirrell as well. Yeah, and yeah, so I wasn't sure maybe, maybe Quirrell's also extra sensitive to it, so he's like, you know, he's far away from it, but he's like, uh, I can yeah. tell that it's, you know, I'm less protected than I was a second ago. You know, like taking off a little bit of, of shade on the lampshade, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I wasn't sure. I mean, yeah, there was that. I wasn't sure if it seemed like also, and I couldn't, fully parse it to figure out if it did mean something but it seemed like somehow like the way that was described was that it might be revealing something like oh does that mean that he's that it's uncovering a, you know there's something he's been trying to hide and it's making it harder for him to hide it or i wasn't sure i like that too yeah. i mean if I'm i could but i could feel like shoes. okay if that is what it's doing then what isn't i couldn't figure out what like what that would be but no i, I like i like your your speculation, wild speculation is going to surface well throughout this show. Um, <laughs> now, if, if I'm putting myself in Quirrell's shoes, another explanation could be that since he knows he can't cast the Patronus charm, like, he's exposed. If this thing wanted to attack him, Quirrell can't apparate away because they're on Hogwarts grounds. Oh, yeah, that's true. Like, he can't so, apparate away and he doesn't, and he's not able to cast a Patronus. Yeah, so he's, like, actually in danger. Hmm. Uh, maybe that's part of what makes him hate Dementors extra or something. And is he like the only person exposed? So like the other students that can't cast it, that's more just kind of like, well, you're still trying to figure out how to do this. But are there any, I don't think there's any other characters that we've been explicitly told, like this is a person that's not capable of casting a Patronus. Um, I mean, Godric Gryffindor. Well, oh yeah, I guess so. Okay. Yeah, because yeah. I was just like wondering, like, was there like, does that draw any suspicion on the quarrel? It always seems like, like quarrels like strutting around as this like very transparently evil dude. Um, yeah, not, like, but like it, somebody you should seriously be worried about and nobody's worried about him. Yeah, right. Well, <laughs> the, in, in everyone's defense, they kind of are, but they're trying not to be because he's yeah. so talented, right? So yeah. like, you know, they all know like, okay, he's the defense professor, shit's going to go down, but we want to keep him around for as long as possible. And so when Dumbledore is talking about uh, the the proposal to bring a Dementor to Hogwarts with Harry in the in the uh, a few chapters ago, um, he says something along the lines of, he can't cast the Patronus charm, which is never a good sign, but it's never, it's not clear that like, this is a universally bad thing. Mm. Um, it's perceived as a bad thing. Like Harry pointed out, like that people assume no Patronus means bad person, but, uh, it's two marks against him that he's a defense professor and he can't cast the Patronus charm. So Mm. it's, it's, uh, I would like not look good on your resume. Right. As far as like, like you're probably more suited to herbology. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but you do something else. Uh, well, then I, you know, I think the thing is that they're so desperate for stabby. talent, right? And and yeah. there's so few applicants for this position, which you know everyone knows that when they take it, they're going to be doomed somehow. So if, if they get someone who's like, hey, I'm a really good teacher, I know a lot, and I'm willing to take this job, they're like, 
fuck yeah, bring this guy on. So they're willing to overlook the fact that he's, you know, in Harry's words, a little dark and a whole lot Slytherin, right? <laughs> um, anyway. So, so like when did, you go to the job interview and they're like, so can you start today? Like, oh, it's, oh. <laughs> I like, uh, it's funny. I wonder what the interview process is like. I imagine they solicit candidates on slow years, right? Like I can't imagine there's a lot of people clamoring for this job. Anyway, well, we'll discuss the anyway so yes so we get to the we get to the patronus stuff i just there was a really cool i just thought it was like a well-written little paragraph describe that our first description of the patronus coming out was anthony goldstein coming up there was a brilliant silver bird standing between anthony goldstein and the cage the bird reared its head and let out a cry and the cry was also silver as bright and hard and beautiful as metal good line I like that too. Yeah, it's it is a good line. I, it's uh, I think what did I put? Um, yeah, I couldn't think of a good word for it, so I literally put uh, ellipses in, in my notes. I said, Patronuses seem more dot 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 fiercely badass. Like, <laughs> this is a very CGI chapter. Like yeah, there's that, like but it's just yeah, something about describing it as animal. as bright and hard and beautiful as metal. Yeah. Like that's not what you'd usually associate with a noise. And, I just like that. Yeah, the, it, it the, works really yeah, well. The cry with silver. It's nice. Yeah. I like it. Um, then there's this actually fun little exchange in Harry's head where he says, if that's Peregrine Falcon, I'm going to strangle him in his sleep. <laughs> Shut up. I remember that, yeah. Shut up, Harry said to the thought. Do you want to be a dark wizard? What's the point? They're going to end up as one eventually. That wasn't something Harry would usually have thought. <laughs> and then this is where he's talking about the placebo effect and stuff. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, so. Uh, I did. I, I'm going to. I'm about to put my foot in my mouth, but um, I like, it seemed to me not coincidence that, because Anthony Goldstein is particularly badass in this chapter, and that seemed not coincidence to me that the Jewish wizard is being particularly badass, and I I liked it. it. There was, it was, it felt sort of like a, like, pride of who I am from the author. Um, and that one, because there was another time where, like, he made some, like, very, I can't remember what it was now, but something about, he made some, what to me felt a creepy thing about, like, oh, that, I can't remember. Was, oh, winning was, like, Nobel, the, the yeah, Nobel something, Prize. Yeah, something like 25% yeah. of the, something, something, yeah, it just, like, sounded really, like, it was a bad taste in my mouth. This one felt really cool. It was like, well, like yeah, fuck yeah. Anthony goes, fuck yeah. Um, and I like, and a cool ass, yeah. So I just, like, I, I, I appreciated that. Yeah, cool. giving some positive representation yeah. to a to a heavily yeah. beleaguered man. Yeah, and there's something, um, and it's cool when it's like it's because the, like kind of the authenticity of stuff that comes out when it's like about your thing. Like it's not a, it's not a pose. It's like oh, it's, it's my thing. Yeah, so, no, yeah. I like that a lot. Um, let's see. I want to truncate this. Oh yeah, but then it goes yeah. So. It's, um, so that yeah, and so I think we get we get to sort of like see a little more detail on the first one um, before they start like talking about like kind of rolling through them but so then Dumbledore is like walking away and we see how sort of weakened he's become from having been doing this all day and Quirrell um, is like are you sure you know you could have I can't remember who he says could take a foot break I think I can't remember but he's like you know maybe you should take a break and let one of the other teachers like handle this for a while um, and Dumbledore like being in in a very like non-flexy way again he's like no we're almost done I'll be okay and like and so he's just gonna like power through the rest of the day I'm disappointed he didn't read it as he put it in the notes, which was Dumbledore oh, yeah. super drained from all the Patronusing oh. and Dementor exposure, and Quirrell suggests he get a Gatorade and an orange wedge. <laughs> I think there was something about, like, I don't know, was it even described that way? I, I realized in like my head, like, 
that the this whole scene I think takes place in my head in something that's kind of a cross between like Teletubbies land and a soccer field. And okay. like, so my head was in like little kids, like eating Gatorade and eating like wedges of oranges oh, on, after, after a soccer well, no, game. Harriet even said that when they were practicing, they had cookies and lemonade. Cookies like, and lemonade. Yeah. Know, so it's, it's, yeah. And there's, there's, there's emergency chocolate nearby. Like yes. that is the vibe, right? I think, yeah. Um, my, my head was in like elementary school kids, soccer games. Yeah. So he, I just he think he it's an orange. That, like, he's a snack. Totally. Well, and what's funny like to me about it old. is that like Quirrell is smart. He knows that defense professors have this aura of, 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 uh, doom on them right mm-hmm. so like he he's he knows that he's got a mark against him because he volunteered to teach defense and so he's immediately suspicious just as a human being mm-hmm. and so for him to be like hey i politely observed that you know maybe you want to take a break right before harry potter goes <laughs> like i know and like, I, you know and i am it, the guy that like tried to talk you into succeeded in talking you into bringing a dementor on the campus exactly i in i just, just when I'm wearing my quarrel hat, I just know that he said that knowing that Dumbledore would turn it down and he was just like deliberately <laughs> fucking with him. Yes. So I just, I think it's funny. Um, I remember as I was reading, I didn't, I, I don't put much stock in this theory now, but as I was reading, I was wondering like, oh, was the purpose of this, like what, because we have in the back of our head, like, oh, there's some ulterior motive going on for this and we're not sure what it is. That was the purpose of this to get Dumbledore weakened. I'm not really sure. It doesn't. It doesn't seem like it played out that way as being important, but that was kind of like that was. I was suspicious. Wouldn't be a bad plan. Yes. Um, this has clearly taken a lot out of him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just like what assassinate him while he's weakened. Yeah. Or so. Or like yeah. Or that's something. It's, I guess like that's something else that would have happened would have happened. Uh, but there was like okay, he's then like then something's going to happen and Dumbledore's going to be too weak to do anything about it. But mm. at least to me, like if it, if it had been that, it, like it feels like that whole critical moment came and went and, and there wasn't anything there that was a failure of Dumbledore to be power enough, powerful enough to handle it but felt like at the time like oh there's something that's significant that he's being weakened all day nice. like it I takes like a it. lot it takes a lot to weaken Dumbledore and we have done the a lot it is it would take that's awesome you are you are getting properly paranoid yes. hats off I like it um, <laughs> um yes yeah, so I guess the other thing I wanted to point out before Hermione goes is that Harry and Hermione have been trying to get like battle reports from oh, yeah. exposed to the Dementor and see what it looks like. And they get different versions, like all something of the variation of it's like this gross dead looking person. Yeah. I thought it was, it was interesting because I, it's, I think left completely unexplained in the originals that we get some like, just like lame. It's a ghost kind of looking something, but yeah, I thought it was interesting because it gets specific about what it is. It's not always the same, but there's like a, there is a, a trend, uh, to what people see and, and I don't know at least for me it was like it seemed like odd in an interesting way that it's like oh it's it's a dude it's a skinny dude that looks like he's rotting uh, and there's something like weirdly like it's specific which is fascinating and it seems to correlate with like how much fear you have like when Harry asks yeah. him what he sees he's like I just see a man who's slightly painful to look upon yeah um, but it yeah, does it seems like but and I guess because and then you know, when Harry does like describe of trying to look at it and then kind of not look like his brain not looking at it but it still seems like underneath like there is a real thing underneath that people are starting to see that has a specific content to it which I thought was interesting I'm not sure where it's going but it was kind of totally cool. yeah yeah we'll keep running with it um, so Hermione goes and uh she gives a little pathetic shriek, flinches, like, and then tries to cast the spell anyway. Nothing happens. She just turns and runs away. I know this was good, and then 
uh, there's a, yeah, a couple of cool things. So she's like freaking out and, and lots of people kind of come to, to help her. But like Harry runs off and being like functionally focused. Harry like quick runs to get her some chocolate because he knows that'll help. So it's like he's in this like weird, and it was described a little bit later, like he's in this kind of like awkward, like I want to do nice things, but I'm not, sh- but I'm not good at this. So quick, oh, chocolate's helpful. I will get her chocolate. Yeah, I like um, it. It's a very procedural way of handling yeah, the emergency. Yeah, it's like he's doing um, the best he can. Yeah, and then what I like, and this is just like a fun, um, also really well voice acted by the 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 woman who did Hermione Granger. Um, like all like, so she screams and she's run off, and uh, then you get like her eyes seem to focus, and they look at Harry. And she's like, Harry, Harry, don't, don't, and it's like, oh my god, like what? Mm-hmm. what happened what is she in that moment you don't know like what she's freaking out about and, like, and i think she, that harry thinks maybe she she's like hallucinating yeah. Uh, yeah and then we get in the next sentence don't go near it you mustn't go near it harry it spoke to me harry it knows you it knows you're here i know that was and, super like threatening it's it very creepy yeah because she's sort of in like a, it's almost like she's like like a psychic channeling something like there's like this scary forbidden knowledge is being revealed yeah, it's... Uh, well, I guess she kind of is. Like, she had this, like, conversation with the Dementor that nobody else could hear. And and it's not... Yeah, so that's the thing, is Dumbledore couldn't hear it. Um, and it's not clear, like, if this was something put in her head to freak her out, because mm-hmm. it would really work. So she says, the Dementor, Professor Quirrell wants it to eat you. Yeah. And then... And that uh, part sounds like, like, scary boogeyman dream. Like, that part of it makes you think, like, okay, maybe she just is kind of hallucinating and putting her own, like, fears and stuff into it. Or it's making her hallucinate yeah. or something. Yeah, and you're um, sort of like, you're not really quite sure how to interpret this. Like, is this is this actually like a an exposure of a legitimate threat, or is this just like it got into our head and fucked with her? We're kind of not sure. Although you, you kind of do know, like, okay, there's something going on here. So it's like an ugly mix. It's yeah, it's hard to say because like Anthony Goldstein says something along the lines of like, don't think about what it tries to make you think. Yeah. About. Yeah. Um, it's like you can clearly put thoughts in your head and is it aiming for a little freaker out is this some real threat it's yeah. not really clear what's going on yeah for um, me at least like this there was it was like very unsettling kind of like there's something about the, what she said was like oh this isn't just a student exercise this is a plot to get you Harry like yeah. there's something like it suddenly becomes a lot more threatening and unsettling it, it does. and that it's it, believable it's kind of yeah. like you know uh, like a beat yeah and yeah. Like, oh, and it also like takes away that like this is not a safe school exercise anymore. That shit just got real. Like, right. You are yeah, in totally. danger. And then I liked uh, um, Professor Quirrell. He is saying, "Just ask." Sounding a little weary. And then the headmaster oh, yeah. says, "Did the Dementor say how it would get to Harry?" And then Hermione just answers. I imagine because the voice actor did it this way, like quietly and kind of mm-hmm. like trying to hold Weakly, back tears, yeah. like all his tastiest parts first. <laughs> no, um, that was good. Yeah. And it's like, that'd be a fucked up thing to hear about this monster saying it's going to eat your friend, all the tastiest parts first. But then that also made it feel that at least my read of that was like, oh, that sounds so boogeyman-ish that that it's then like, oh, okay, you're just being silly and like you're just hallucinating. It's not real. But then then that's in its own like reverse way kind of unsettling because it's like, because, oh, it's now it's just, you know, gaslighting you. It's trying to convince you you're crazy. Yeah. And I, it's... Yeah, there's a lot to read into. Um, I, I liked Dumbledore has this great Dumbledore line, which he says, you were too brave, Hermione Granger. Uh, 
You should have turned and run, not, tr not endured and tried to complete your charm. When you are older and stronger, Miss Granger, I know that you will try again, and I know that you will succeed. It's just, that's, you know, like we are talking right. about how he gave a good voice mm -hmm. to Lupin. I think that's a great voice to Dumbledore, too. And I could, like, at the same I could hear, like, I could hear the rolling of the eyes from Quirrell. <laughs> oh, man, you're probably right. Quirrell, mm -hmm. Quirrell being the narcissist mm -hmm. that he is, or the pessimist. Um, he'd be like, oh, yeah, sure, Dumbledore, you would so, say that. He's like, he's bored with it. I'm gonna yeah. fucking miss again. <laughs> Oh man, yeah. So she she says she couldn't look at it, and she just she can't give a report to Harry. And um, anyway, five chocolate bars later, Hermione seemed all right. Went over <laughs> to apologize to Professor Quirrell, but she was watching Harry every time that he glanced in her direction. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, and then it's Harry's then, turn. Yeah. Well, yeah. Then Neville turned and ran because he was smart. Oh yeah. Uh, which I like, just because. And he gave he gave the uh, the worst description anyone had seen, which was. Something dead and half dissolved, oozing and running with a face like a squash like sponge. A squash sponge. Nicely gross. I, if anyone else here hasn't listened to the Magnus archives and likes horrifying descriptions of things, you should listen to that podcast. It's great. Um, <laughs> and isn't that, I think that isn't that where Quirrell gives the line about like, um, if you are warned but still make the mistake, that's where ignorance crosses into stupidity. Right. So, yeah. So he was almost like approving of Neville running the hell away. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think that even the, like, Harry's narrative says that Neville had done the, um, uh, like, intelligently and with great presence of mind, turned and run away instead of trying to cast <laughs> his own charm, which makes perfect sense. I mean, the other part of the exercise was to notice a Dementor, and, all right, cool, I know what that feels like. If I ever feel that again, I'm getting the fuck out of here. <laughs> so Neville, Neville learned also something valuable. Um, I liked, uh, there was this line from Quirrell where he's talking with Harry about... Uh, like, um, like his original phrasing of why he thought children might be able to do this, and he had said, uh, "Our worst only, our worst memories can only grow older as, or grow stronger as we grow older." And mm -hmm. then he says, uh, to, "Then he's then Quirrell says to Harry, let us hope that you succeed upon this try, Mister Potter. For if you do, the headmaster may teach you his trick of using the Patronus to send messages that cannot be forged or intercepted, and the military importance of that is impossible to overstate." It would be a tremendous advantage to the Chaos Legion and, someday, I suspect, the entire country. But if you do not succeed, Mr. Potter, well, I shall understand. Uh -huh. Now, what was, did, what was your reaction to reading that thing about the, like, oh, Patronuses can deliver secret messages? I just remember that being a thing from canon. Oh, but, um, okay, I guess so. Well, yeah, I, so like, that, this was only written, like, because my one was like, wow, that would be sweet if we had some way to, like, deliver messages that people couldn't intercept or you could like definitely make sure that you knew who it was from if only there was some way to do that i mean we can do that with <laughs> relative certainty now or relative certainty. it's like it's encryption like it's we, we did it's a solved problem yeah well i mean and you know even if you're worried that someone else took my phone and unlocked it like if we did a facetime call it would be a whole other level of of uh cheating and hackery to forge my face on top of the conversation right so I, like I'm pretty sure I'm actually talking to you and not someone pretending to be you right now because we started with the video call first. So, um, so. But if I send like, if I send you the the information with my PGP key. <laughs> so the, okay. I mean that that that's nothing to us. But in 1991, when they didn't have cell phones yet, and you know the previous communication that most people use is owl. Yeah. Um, I was yeah I wasn't I I couldn't tell if. Like, because, I mean, so yes, important, but I couldn't tell if it was, like, intentionally trying to call out the fact that that's a totally solved problem. 
Like what I, was it trying to point out like, Oh, this is a, this is a blind spot among wizards that there, this is a thing science has totally nailed that wizards would be like, Oh, that'd be sweet if you could do that. Well, I couldn't tell. I mean, wizard, he, I mean, had people nailed that in 1991? Um, well, I mean, I don't read had people nailed that in 2010 when he, like, when was this written? Uh, right was around it, then, yeah, yeah, right around then. Because I mean, yeah, you can say it was written in '91, but if he if he was trying to write that as being like you know period accurate or whatever, then you'd feel like that would it would have been written a little differently. I couldn't tell. Like it just it, there was something about like it was the way that was described seemed like so like it was spelled out at, at least in a way that seemed like like if you were just gonna say like oh secrets would be important. I don't know. There's something like it seemed like it was calling out. It was even more obvious than you would think about how how much science did solve that one. Hmm. I don't know. So I couldn't, but I couldn't. I couldn't tell if it was on purpose or not. Eh. Everything's on purpose. Nothing's a coincidence. Oh, we can just go right. with that. But well, I, see, I but then if it is, then why? It, why is then why is Quirrell? Get, you know, is, is then Quirrell just being kind of an adult right here? Or was, I don't know. Why I, I missed part of that? Why was Quirrell what? So I mean, then. It, is this an example of Quirrell being ignorant? Or is uh, this just like, you know what, don't worry about it. Oh, I guess right. that's true. Yeah, and I, I accept, so I'm not buying this as a, oh, this was, yes, done with the knowledge of, of that encryption is a thing, but also trying to like be true to it being 1991. I mean, yes, that could technically be true, but I'm not buying it. I read it at completely surface level. Um, that could be, that, I, I'm, I'm thinking that's right probably it. what it is, and it's just um, overthinking it. No, I like it. Probably not something that I... Reading this book. It's something a non-computer programmer would be le- not unlikely, but less likely to dwell on. Yeah, I think the fact that the the author is a computer scientist uh, steeps in a little bit, too. Yeah. Which, See, you know, okay. I enjoy it. Um, and I enjoyed before I was in the industry, so it works mm-hmm. for a uh, range of audiences. Um, let's see. Right. Anyway, well, yeah. I bored myself uh, with the topic. Parvati Patil casts a uh, p- corporeal Patronus in the form of a tiger, which is cool. Yeah, and it was like badass too. It was like huge. It was huge, yeah. but not as bright. So yeah, but it was still it, like it pretty. It was, it I was don't impressive. Know if size really matters. I sort of just assume yeah. it's the size of the actual animal. I think, didn't that? I think like hers was described as being almost like even like bigger than the bird. Like it was sort of like supersized. Like the image I had was that it was. I don't know, in my. Like the totally probably inaccurate image is like this like 15, 20 foot tall tiger. Oh, I mean, I, I don't, and that dope. may not be I, even I like, right like an actual sized yeah. tiger is bigger than an actual sized phoenix. And then, oh wait, I, I pulled this. Uh, and the silverbird spreads wings. Blah blah blah. blah. I don't know. And then Parvati Patil succeeded. I don't know. Maybe not. Yeah, still yeah. big, cool, big, cool one. Another, another corporeal success among the first years. Um, and Harry, like, is walking up. He's like, I'm pretty sure I'm gonna fuck this up, but he has to know what it'll feel like and he thinks like maybe it'll work because mm-hmm. for reasons people don't understand sometimes it works and and the way Dumbledore he, is looking at him you're kind of like yeah you can fuck this up Harry yeah because he says if he had true words to, of encouragement to speak he would speak them but again to me I'm also reading that from Harry uh, with his whether it's uh, placebo induced or actual just like proximity to the Dementor he's thinking negative thoughts because he's yeah. near a Dementor right yeah so maybe Dumbledore is just tired and can't think of anything nice to say who knows um, yeah, well, how would that play out? Would this be like a whole field full of people that are all just in a really shitty mood? I think <laughs> like, so. And, not, and like not, but not, or not everybody's completely aware at what level like their mood is just being like altered by the presence of a Dementor versus like, oh, I just hate that asshole. 
that that's how I'm reading it. It's like the like opposite a, of walking into a house that smells like freshly baked bread, right? And <laughs> like, like you walk in there, you don't quite smell it. Like, ah, I feel mode. like in a good mood. You know, there's like aerosolized oxytocin, and you're like, ah, oh, all right, cool. I feel pretty happy. But this is like the opposite of that. But no one can put their, you know, they can point at the Dementor, but like no one's. It's not heavy enough in most people's minds to notice mm. that like they're unusually pessimistic yeah. i'm just reading none of that's in the in the chapter that's just how i'm reading it yeah. like i to me that's a fun way like there's it's just this extra dark thing that is affecting everybody a little bit yeah. the whole time um anyway so harry is going to go against the dementor and he is as he's thinking of what thought he's going to use um he thinks again about the books and then he, um, you pulled out the nice quote of what he actually lands on. Yeah. And it, um, yeah. And so it describes, he's like, he's, I think he's like goes in thinking he's going to like, yeah, try to use the memory, uh, with his father, but then it just sort of like, like unexpectedly he lands on some other, um, idea. And, um, and then this was like, well, anyway, I saw it. Uh, and Harry remembered the stars remembered them burning terribly bright and unwavering in the silent night, capital S, silent, capital N, night. He let that image fill him, fill all of him like an occlumency barrier across his entire mind, became once again the bodiless awareness of the void. And it reminded, so I like, when I read that, especially like the, the great buildup to it, because he's like having all this anxiety about, like he can tell he's like he's about to get his ass kicked. Um, and then this like suddenly landing on this like super powerful emotional thing. I like teared up as I was reading it and it reminded me, especially like there's something about the space thing. I don't know if it's like a nerd appeal of space stuff or what, but it reminded, I like, I was surprised by how like emotional I got about it in the same way. I remember like I teared up too when I saw like fucking stupid uh, Elon Musk shoot a a car at Mars and something about that like totally got to me. Um, and it was like, Oh, this is like the destiny of humanity. Like it was just like, Oh, it's fucking awesome. Like I'm being even glib about it, but it was like totally like emotional. Um, this like hit me in the same way. And I'm never like, I really like, and I was, I liked it when he did it. And, I, and I'm glad that he like has stuck with that idea of silent night as like this, like sort of spiritual way of thinking about space. I was smiling the whole time that you were talking. I have exactly the same sentiment about. Um, I was just watching. It was. Uh, it was one. It wasn't the the car. It was one of his. Uh, one of his relandable rockets that he had launched, mm-hmm. and it was some news broadcast, and it was showing it in the background. And it, I was watching on the news. I was watching a clip of it on Reddit. But it was like you could just see it, and I. I like you said, it's it's hard to articulate. It's articulatable if I spent two minutes doing it. But the the sense of this is the apex of human achievement. Yeah. We're traveling to space and we're, we're pushing like we're beyond our, the rock that we evolved on. There's something so fucking inspiring about that. Yeah. The one that's so much. what's weird, I get if there's a lot like stuff will be like affect me more when you combine it with, I'm when I don't understand why that even affects me more, <laughs> but like the seeing, uh, seeing the rockets landing, um, because it's this weird combination of like, especially when seeing it from when they're way, way up in the sky so they're just these like very like small little like specks of white sticks falling down because it's this strange combination of it looks science fictiony like rockets are landing while also looking really boring and mundane like just airplanes in the sky like it's both at the same time or it like it starts as one and it turns into the other and there's something like super weird and powerful about seeing it because it's i think it's because it's both believable and boring it looks like airplanes in the sky 
but it's science fiction coolness of rockets are, you know, landing themselves, standing up, falling. Like that thing was just in outer space and it's now falling from the sky and it's just going to land exactly where it was because robots. Um, that it's like, oh, this amazing science fiction thing that we just sort of dream about being real one day is also the boring thing that looks like airplanes. Um, so it's like I, both. I agree. I think it's, I, I love the, the videos of watching, again, the, I mean, Elon Musk is, you know, uh, basically our universe is Tony Stark. Um, watching them orient and come to a slow landing and you know mm-hmm. how fast they were just going. Yeah. They're so cool. And I, I, they, it is on my yeah, very short like, list of like, I need to do this. Go, I, want to, I want to go see a rocket launch in person. I know you, I can't get front row seats, but yeah. I can get uh, you know mid row seats where crowds are allowed to congregate way far away. But, and, and like the, the what do they call it? Like a suicide burn or whatever that they're like just going way too fucking fast, and then they like fire full blast all at, you know all at the last second because that's the most fuel efficient way to do it. It's um, so cool. I know, yeah, it's, it's, if I'm close enough to hear it, I know I'll be just a sobbing mess and just yeah. you know. Especially because it like just like the whole thing looks like intuitively looking at it, you're like that is fucking ridiculous. That's not how you can land something. <laughs> you're yeah. like that can't work. Like so, it took it takes robots. Well, science. Totally. And cool. Harry seems to find a similar sort of uh, inspiration from, if not space travel on its own, space itself, this this peacefulness. And I've used this as a, uh, whatever, anxiety managing technique as well. Just do the exact same thing. Um, I'm, I can't picture it from what I saw with a magic, uh, you know, Christmas um, present from somebody or whatever. But I've seen, you know, deep pictures of space. I've got I don't know, 60 or 70 wallpapers on my computer that cycle every minute. And a lot of them are space themed. So I've seen pictures Mm -hmm. of space and, you know, again, letting that kind of coat your whole mind is a nice calming thing. So, um, driving us, uh, back to the story, I guess, um, Harry tries that and it doesn't work. At least it was power in that it, you, it's not, I don't even saying it almost worked is even too much, but at least like there was something there. It was a, like a legit effort. Yeah. Um, I like to do it. I really like the line and partly cause it lands really well from the audiobook Cause it ends, he does this, this chapter in two parts and the first part ends with, and the Dementor smashed into his mind, like the fist of God. <laughs> um, it, it's just, uh, it's intense. And then, it says that there's this moment, there was an instant when the two forces clashed head on, when the peaceful starlit memory held its own against the fear, even as Harry's fingers began the wand motions, practiced until they had become automatic. They weren't warm and happy, those blazing points of light and perfect blackness, but it was an image the Dementor could not easily pierce, for the silent burning stars were vast and unafraid, and to shine in the cold and darkness was their natural state. Yeah, and I like it that says one. that it, the flaw, the crack in the fault line, was that Harry felt a twinge of anger at the Dementor for trying to feed on him, and it was like slipping on wet ice. And it's, it like captured, the, the, I don't know if it, it reminds me of, at least the same, this doesn't make any sense, but the the line about there's something humiliating about being told you're not happy enough, like that gets you into such like a, like a mind fuck state of like, oh, I'm supposed to have a happy thought and don't have, a, don't have an unhappy thought. Like he's in that weird like, oh, once it starts to slip, it's just going to completely slip because any little bit of, you know, breaking his confidence is going to turn into yet more of a breaking confidence. And what just like a horrible mind fuck that is to yourself to be like, oh, no, happy thought, happy thought, happy thought, happy thought. Yeah, it's a hard enough, yeah. like, it's, it's an easy enough mind fuck to do to yourself, but then you've got this monster who is 
uh, trained to attack yeah. those vulnerabilities. And so, like the second that he has the 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 slightest twinge, yeah. then the Dementor just seizes that and slams him. You know, all the way. Uh, it you know judo's on him, right? Yeah. So, um, uh, yeah, he tries to speak the spell. It doesn't work. And then it says he fell into his dark side, fell down into his dark side, further and faster and deeper than ever before. Down, down, down as the slide accelerated. Um, it, I mean, I, I, I want to keep reading because it's great, but I don't want to spend all night reading the rest of the chapters. So we can, I'll, I'll let you grab whatever parts you want. Um, what it, so there's that, and then it just kind of, it like cuts at that point, right? And, and I think we, it's like described as, then we like switch to the view of everybody else as they're watching it and they just kind of see it as Harry just collapsing. Um, um, there's a considerable bit right before there? that, but it's chopped into two parts. He he has the, the flashback to, uh, well, I guess the memory somehow underneath all of this um, says, into the vacuum rose the memory, the worst memory, something forgotten so long ago oh, that yes. neural patterns shouldn't have still existed. And I got to point out again, the audiobook has this dope-ass music for this part that uh, really adds some gravity to it. Um, he is remembering when uh, it basically was up. Lily, take Harry and go. It's him, shouted a man's voice. Go, run, I'll hold him off. And Harry couldn't help but think in the depths of his, in the empty depths of his dark side, how ridiculously overconfident James Potter had been. Hold off Lord Voldemort? With what? And then he hears, uh, I man, all right, stop me if I'm reading too much. No, <laughs> well, no I'd actually, because I had skipped over, maybe it's because this reminded me of the movie. I mean, because this this part also felt very cinematic, and that it was like you know montagey. You could tell like that, and then the sound would be different. It would be more like echoey and from far away. Um, the audiobook nailed that too. Did it? There you go. Um, yeah, I don't know. Actually, it seemed maybe it's because then like Harry got all kind of meta about it, but um, yeah, this part for me just sort of felt like like it was kind of just a placeholder for badness. Um, hmm. I mean, yeah, I don't know. No, no, like you mean like it wasn't a real memory? Or? No, 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 just that. Uh, no, like that was all real. But I guess like because I did just sort of like collapse this, like the, I ellipsed this in my in my head as just like, and then he has bad thoughts. Um. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, I, I didn't do that. I guess maybe again because yeah. I the way I go back and do these again for this for this reread is. I listen to them, then I read them, or sometimes the other way, but usually yeah. I listen first. And uh, this part was epic in the audiobook. And the yeah. voice actor for Voldemort was awesome. Um, as a note of confusion, I am still credited as the voice. Um, <laughs> but then he found somebody who did a much better job, which I was super down with. And uh, like actually had, I don't know how what this person did to make it work. Um, but like, well, you were the, the you were the voice of Voldemort? Yeah, yeah you're, like you're not, it, it sounds like it's described. The voice is described high pitched, like yeah, a hiss of a tea kettle. You're not like you're not Gollum sounding like, enough. What was that? You're not Gollum sounding enough. No, it's it's like it's it's uh, sinister. It's awesome. Yeah, sorry, dude, you sound too normal. <laughs> anyway, so he he gets the memory of his parents being killed, but he does it from like the perspective of like purely his dark side. So like mm. when his mom is like, "No, no, please have mercy, have mercy." 
And then Lily Potter, Harry thought, seems not to understand what type of people became Dark Lords in the first place. And if this is the best strategy she can conceive to save her child's life, that was her final failure as a mother. I did like, like this, this part. Horrible thought. Yeah, right? but like, like Voldemort is like baiting her into stopping. Like she's just doing the the like you know damsel in the stress tied to the railroad tracks version of protesting. Um, and Voldemort kind of finds that like lame, and so he he like baits her into standing up for herself, just so he can like sadistically like kill her. Like he wants he wants her to at least like try to lash out at him, just so he can like smack her back down. Yeah, I got that impression. Yeah. Or I guess maybe he was curious to see what would happen. Yeah, he does well. say very well. I accept the bargain: yourself to die and the child to live. Now drop your wand so that I can murder you. Yeah. Like. And then there was a hideous silence. Lord Voldemort began to laugh, a horrible, contemptuous laughter. And that's when she tries to yeah. use the killing curse on him. But, like, I get the impression that Voldemort, if, like, if she had just dropped her wand and, like, walked to the side of the room, mm-hmm. like, I, I I get the impression he'd have let her live just because he's, like, from what we've heard, he's that he kind of sadistic walked off fuck. in disgust. <laughs> or, or just, like, let her live while he killed her kid. Yeah, yeah then, that would be worse. Afterwards. That would be worse. Or nail her skin to the wall. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it just occurred to me, this is, yeah, um, I don't know, the, all of this lands pretty intensely. If you, if you feel like it, this is a great audiobook chapter to listen mm-hmm. to, so, um, How's the I think CGI? this is in the second part of chapter 40, it's like 42 and 41 and 42, I think. Oh, is this the one that was like split up and confusing people about what the episode numbers were? Oh no, that was a different one. That was a while ago. So, yeah. like, some of those split up because the audiobook chapter is about half an hour each. Yeah. Um, so, this one just got split up and then combined with 42, which is a short chapter. Mm. Oh, so, yeah. Um, anyway, then this is where it does the line break. And then uh, the other children saw Harry fall. They heard Harry Potter's scream, the thin, high pitched scream that seemed to pierce their ears like knives. And then Harry or Dumbledore summons his Patronus, and the scream went on and on and on, it says. Um, yeah, and Harry's just like, scr- like, they're doing all kinds of stuff, but Harry's just like screaming and in uh, and having like an epileptic seizure. Yeah, and Dumbledore grabs him, runs him further away from the Dementor, and more de- more Patronuses are cast. Um, there's uh, there's this moment where I think uh, um, I can't remember if it's right. It's right in this whole situation where like Flitwick has his wand pointed at Quirrell because it's like, hey, weird shit's yeah. happening at the Defense Professor. And I then- like because so uh, I like there was something like kind of cool like the image of uh dumbledore because it's like dumbledore like scoops harry up and is like running and carrying him away so it's this sort of like out of like he shouldn't be that physically strong but he is because he's dumbledore yeah um, i like that too it's like gandalf yeah uh in return of the king when he's like charging it with against the in like the last battle or whatever oh, okay. he's like, the, he should be sword, like an old yeah. man limping along with his stick but no he's charging he's and keeping up aragorn yeah. and them it's like yeah. oh yeah i forget he's he's gandalf you know, super badass too yeah I like and then uh, I thought maybe because it was just really well written I think but the because um, uh, he he's like running off with um, Harry and he like yells at everybody to uh, he says cast Patronuses everyone who can get them between Harry and the Dementor it's still feeding on him um, 
And then, so it's, so Expecto Patronum shouted Professor Flitwick in or Goryanov and then Anthony Goldstein, but he failed the first time, and then Parvati Patil, who succeeded, and then Anthony tried again, and his silver bird spread its wings and screamed at the Dementor, and Dean Thomas roared the words like they had been written in letters of fire, and his wand gave birth to a towering white bear. There were eight blazing Patronuses, all on a line between Harry and the Dementor, and Harry went on screaming and screaming as the headmaster laid him on the dried grass. It's like a really cool description of it, but I, besides that, I mean, just being really cool and that you get to like see like at least from this description, it sounds like Dean Thomas couldn't at first, but now he's suddenly able to get this towering white bear of a of a Patronus. But there was something too that I liked about it is that it felt like Harry had failed to summon a Patronus, but all of this then this like super impressive display of like eight Patronuses all at once to fight off this Dementor, like Harry caused that. Um, yeah, or at least hit the 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 desire to protect their yeah. friend caused. Yeah, he was like the them. yeah he uh-huh. he motivated that and and yeah. that it was I think I especially like that it was people like students who where this was a brand new skill for them then they were suddenly like using it for real. Yeah, and Dean hadn't gone yet. I did the the quick ABCs in my head. He would have gone after Harry, um, so maybe he would have been able to do it anyway. But I think there was something about. I need to save my friend. Yeah. That helped people do it. Yeah. And then I guess three of the Patronuses were the R's. One was uh, Dumbledore's, presumably Flitwick's. And then, oh yeah, he, yeah, presu- uh, Flitwick was explicitly there. And then, um, then the three students. But yeah, yeah. it was awesome. Uh, <laughs> I liked your, this needed dramatic string orchestra background, maybe with a baritone choir and kettle drums <laughs> and $600,000 of CGI. <laughs> yeah. I like that. Um, I mean, it would be a visually very cool scene because you have like lots of these like little CGI ghosty looking like, you know, Jedi yeah, force it, blue glow around them. And, but like, yeah, all it, I picture like paint, 40 foot tall animals a good picture. I like it. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, it's not working. Harry's still sitting there screaming. And so, uh, Quirrell says, use your Phoenix, take him far away from the Dementor. And then I like that again. He just, without a word, scoops him up and then vanishes a crack of fire, which is cool because he can like summon Fox um, yeah. and then they both teleport away and then the, uh, professor Dumbledore's Phoenix shows up again and talks to Hermione and says, it still feeds on him even here. How, if you know Hermione Granger, you must tell me. And then this was the line that I really liked. Um, cause she, she's sitting there freaking out and she's like, oh man, I can't remember. I, she couldn't remember the nightmare clearly. Couldn't remember why she had thought it was possible, but why, she, or why she'd been afraid and then she realized what she had to do, and it was the hardest hardest decision of her life. What if whatever happened to Harry happened to her, too? All of her limbs cold as death, her vision gone dark, fear, fear overwhelming everything. She'd seen Harry dying, Mom and Dad dying, all her friends dying, everyone dying, so that in the end, she, when she died, she'd be all alone. That was her secret nightmare that she'd never talked about with anyone, and that it had given the Dementor its power over her. The loneliest thing was to die alone. She didn't want to go to that place again. She didn't want to. She didn't want to stay there forever. And she's building up this this horrifying thing, mm-hmm. and then it's in parentheses or in a in italics like a. It's the uh, sorting hat talking. It's, yeah. yeah, it's a breakaway thought from this this line of just hugely depressing spiraling, and it says, "You have courage enough for Gryffindor," said the calm voice of the sorting hat in her memory. But you'll do what is right in any house I give you. You will learn. You will stand by your friends in any house you choose. So don't be afraid, Hermione Granger. Just decide where you belong. And 
that was this is uh, I this was so cool because this was unexpected so it was so cool to like see it unfold yeah, yeah. it's I think it's one of the it's another one of those hugely impactful lines yeah. that I really liked in this chapter this chapter was just full of them yeah this is um, a really good chapter when she was talking with uh, Professor McGonagall after like the Christmas battle and she says you know the hat told me I could go to any house but Slytherin and that was like her really nice way of saying like the house said like the nicest thing we've heard it say to anybody which mm-hmm. is like you're you'll do the best you're gonna you're gonna do great no matter what and like oh my god that's like so awesome yeah. like that that's what her introspective mirror says to her I totally stomped on the reveal when I interrupted you but she does after deciding Hermione Granger just decide where you belong what she decides to do is run towards the Dementor uh, so that she can remember so, so it can attack her again and terrify her and she can remember what it had told her because she forgot and by all means cut me off I know I was talking a lot so <laughs> yeah so we're, we're, so we're coming up on like, two and a half hours she so just, just trying to she just chose of her own free will to be harmed again by the Dementor because she knows that that's the only way that she can find out what they need to know in order to figure out why it still is able to attack Harry. And then we're left on a cliffhanger. Not quite. I know. Not. Uh, so uh, she, she's running towards it and then uh, oh, yeah, yeah. everyone's getting their Patronuses out of her way and then Flitwick roared Professor Quirrell, summoned Potter's wand. And even as Hermione understood, Professor, Whitlick, Professor Flitwick was already crying Accio or Asio. I forget how you say that spell. Accio. The summoning spell. And she saw the stick of wood zooming from where it had fallen or from where it had lain, touch, almost touching the Dementor's cage. And uh, then the cliffhanger is after our line break and presumably back in Dumbledore's office. Um, the eyes opened, dead and vacant. Harry gasped a voice in, uh, in the colorless world. Harry, speak to me. The face of Albus Dumbledore leaned into the field of vision, which had been occupied by distant marble ceiling. You're annoying, said the empty voice. You should die. Oh, is it? See, I didn't read. I just sort of read that as like, oh, he's in some weird, like, semi-conscious state and is just kind of saying like random shitty stuff. But I guess that, that, that could be like something a lot more ominous. Wasn't oh, I, I wasn't reading into anything about it. I was yeah. just saying that it didn't end with Hermione running towards oh, the Dementor. It, it looked like it could somehow yeah, it get to him through his wand, which was laying next to the cage. Hmm. And then then it shows him not screaming anymore and telling Dumbledore he's annoying and should die. <laughs> yeah, I don't read this again. I'm not, I'm not sure how, what, how we should read that last line. Like, is that just like, oh, he's in a daze and just being a shitty kid? Or is, that, or is he like possessed by a demon now or something? Or, you know... Like how Hermione was temporarily demented by mm-hmm. her exposure to, yeah. um, you know, yeah, the, the brief him, exposure that she had. You're annoying, said the empty voice. Which, I don't know. We'll see. Tune in next week. Tune in next week for chapters <laughs> 44, 45, and 46, which for those of you who know the chapter names is Humanism Part 2, Part 3, and Part 4. And then the episode after that, uh, that will be coming out... I guess it'll be the first episode in April. Yes. Uh, Um, We're going to do our retro, our book two retro, uh, which in accordance with ancient tradition is also super late. Um, (laughs) And it won't be late for the next one because now I actually have the list. I never read them as like separate books, but when people do that, uh, there's a broken out list. The the retro episode Um, is always just up to the point that we've read that far, even if we're not supposed to, because I'm not going to be able to keep in my head straight what we are or are not talking about so 
That's the content will be all of the things I know up to that point. People chop up like because there's some tone shift and stuff, and things get a little different. I think uh, chapter thirty-seven is when he goes back home for Christmas. Um, so everything mm-hmm. from chapter twenty-two to chapter thirty-seven will be the episode after next episode. So you don't have to read that. You know, get caught up again for that next next week. We're doing forty-four, forty-five, and forty-six. But then the one after that, rather than continue with the story, we're going to do another retro episode. And this one's with Cron Oblivion, the person who puts together all those awesome Reddit posts that if you're not all checking out, you totally should. So that would be cool. Yeah, I reached out because I really appreciate what they're doing to, you know, keep the conversation alive on multiple yeah. platforms. They're also active on the Discord. Um, speaking of the Discord, you can find us on the Doof Media Discord if you donate at least a dollar a month. And uh, there are all kinds of other perks for higher level donators um currently they're all for other doof things i am in the process of thinking of things that this podcast can do to reward people um at this point i'm super open to suggestions if you look at the kinds of tier rewards that that exist on doof and you say hey if i'm at this level um what would you give me for i don't know 10 bucks a month or something uh by all means if you guys can think of ideas um you're welcome to see me a private message on Discord. Is probably the easiest way to get a hold of me. Here we got a request for a fake commercial. I owe somebody a fake commercial by the Quibbler. Oh my God! Yeah, this episode brought to, to you that. by the Quibbler. This doesn't count. That's not the real one. I gotta, I gotta no, put no, some, we'll, we'll get we'll, put some we'll stink it. on it. Make it actually funny. All right, that sounds fun. But we'll do other stuff too. So in the meantime, do check out Doof Media. You can find them on doofmedia.com or at patreon.com/doofmedia. Other than that, I think I'm out of things to say. What about you, Brian? Same. We made it through Great. an entire episode without my uh, mic blowing up on anybody, so... Yeah, finally. Knock on mic. It doesn't usually, I think, make it to the end product, but it does make it to, to the editing process, so... All right. Well, thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you back in a couple of weeks for chapters 44, 45, and 46.